Hey everyone, this is Contrarius Live. We're coming to you from out of the dark. And I'm going to unmute Chuck. He's he's been busy today. He's a little bit fatigued. And so I had a prepared show tonight, but uh, we're we're going to do that later. So we're going to do a Q&A show. And uh, hopefully Chuck can get involved here. It depends how it goes. Um, Anyway, um, I uh, was down to the last minute here when I was going to do a show or not because I got to be uh, I got to be professional and uh, I came across some evidence that the new um, Economist cover that we've talked about before this would be for 2019 uh, is black except it says um, the world in 2019 which is very disconcerting because um, the stock market plummeted as most of you know on October 10th and in 30 years ago in 1988 on the cover of The Economist it's the best predictive programming I've ever seen there's two different tents there if you look I haven't mentioned this on the show yet by the way um, but we'll be talking about that again and uh, I mean you can make the case that it predicted the day and uh, people say well I don't see any big stock market crash you know that's because they're thinking you know 1929 uh, what we're not certain about yet is that um, that may be a starting date that they may point back to you know um, anyway we'll be talking about that uh, later I had problems confirming it so we think that we actually confirmed it but the issue is not out yet it's available in November and uh, y- you can uh, pre-order it so that is supposedly the reason why it's difficult to document this this is like brand new and I just found this out and I wanted to run a check on it and I couldn't do it and so that was kind of delaying the start of this show and uh, <clears throat> So I decided to just put it off. We'll do a Q&A show tonight. Unmuting Chuck that he got muted again. Now, what were you going to talk about? Uh, oh, okay. Last week, there was one thing that I decided not to talk about uh, for a couple reasons. And I'll just mention that um, briefly at the start of the show. Um, we, um, I don't know if Chuck has muted himself or he keeps uh, getting muted there. I unmute him and then he gets muted. But um, we got a new revelation that came through Chuck. We didn't ask anything, but it was information that was volunteered. We will talk about this again. And the angel said that, I don't know if he meant like every single person, but uh, without qualifying it, um, it appears, I don't remember what he said word for word, that um, it's common for everyone to hear from their angel. Now, this is over the course uh, of their life. I don't know, you know how much they hear. It could just be a little here and there. I did not believe this. I thought that God had, had blocked this, and the reason I thought he blocked it is because they wouldn't be able to process it, okay? So I had never thought about this before. But um, this is a completely different view that everyone is hearing how much we don't know. I'm going to guess it's probably not a whole lot. But uh, they have different reactions. They're not really able to process it. Um, They may think, um, you know, if they're a Christian, they might think it's God. The 
the Holy Spirit. Um, if they're not, they could hear it and go, you know, I didn't hear anything. What was that? Mm, you know, uh, rationalize it. You not even recognize it, right? But see, they are hearing, okay? Um, how many people are going to think that's an angel? Uh, how many people are going to think that's their personal angel, okay? If you don't have some kind of belief system, you're going to interpret that through your present belief system. So you can go from person to person to person, you know, atheist, agnostic, fundamentalist Christian, you know, liberal Christian, which I only believe exists, or whatever the heck, you know what I mean? You could be a new ager. Everyone would have a different interpretation. But as a general rule, I don't think people acknowledge it. I don't think they want to acknowledge it. You know, we've talked about before how you have kind of this self-talk in your head. Some people, uh, this is a lot more noticeable than others. Uh, but Chuck had that for years. And um, I've actually corrected myself. I didn't do a very good job of explaining this. But um, the way you would hear me talk about this in the past, it was like I wasn't hearing anything. I think I said that I heard a few things over like a single decade. It was maybe like three or four things. And I remembered everything that I heard. You know what I mean? Uh, for instance, um, I remember being at a specific place over at my friend's house in the kitchen. And I remember that nobody was there. I don't, I don't remember why I was there. Uh, was I house-sitting? I might have been, okay? But I had a really bad toothache. And I was already aware of hydrogen peroxide. And... It was like really bad. And that's when God speaks to you in your pain, you know, when you really need God. He, if you can hear from him, if he's going to do anything, I mean, he doesn't have to speak, but that's when he helps you. And he said, um, I will help you. And after that, there was nothing that happened. Um, but I analyzed it a lot because I'm very analytical, and I believe that he was referring to hydrogen peroxide, okay? And all you have to do is have sufficient hydrogen peroxide. It can even be cheap black 3%, which I don't recommend because it actually um, has heavy metals in it, uh, specifically tin, believe it or not. Um, but I was able to deal with it, and uh, it didn't have a problem. It went away, you know, and so... I think he was just making, just encouraging me, you know, that this is not going to be an ongoing thing and it'll be dealt with. And uh, he was the one, I think, that I give him the credit for um, helping me with that problem even before that, because I had uh, toothaches before that. And uh, the thing is, um, in a properly oxygenated environment, uh, there's good bacteria, there's bad bacteria. Bad bacteria or viruses, Anything like that, that that's bacteria-related, it cannot exist. If it has sufficient, if it's fully oxygenated, or su no, sufficiently oxygenated, and I've proven this myself over the years, that is the cause of tooth pain. This is bacteria. What happens when you um, use different types of oxygen products? You annihilate it. Okay? Now, dentists actually don't know this. And I actually talked to a dentist. Um, actually, the last time I went to a dentist, and he was very interested. I was talking about oxygen therapy. He didn't know a thing about it. And by the way, they do use oxygen therapy out there. Uh, I think these are alternative-type dentists. And then there's also dentists that have heard about it, and they, they might have a good or bad opinion. But I want everyone to know, because I say a lot of negative things about doctors and dentists. And I've said this before, but um, and this is even true for pastors, okay? 
Um, there's things that you're not supposed to talk about, and you kind of get a feel for that. But there's, there's doctors and dentists out there, you know, they've educated themselves to some degree on the Internet, and they're aware of these uh, different modalities, treatment methods, but they don't say anything. And so you're going to assume that they don't know anything, but that's not true. But um, they're being cautious, and they're protecting their career because, yes, you can use your medical license. And... Uh, so they appear ignorant, but they're actually not. Now, I don't know how many doctors are like that, but they're learning more and more um, on the Internet, just like other people. They also learn. They have to have a lot of repetition, repetition supposedly. They, they, they learn from their patients. And the way that they learn is when they keep hearing a patient. It, 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 it may happen over five years, you know, it may be three or four patients, it may be the third or fourth time they go, hold it here. Maybe I should pay attention to this. You know, look it up. You see that? that I mean, the first time around, they probably write it off because they're the expert, right? Anyway, we'll get moving along here. But um, that is a completely different position uh, and I hold to now because I can't disprove it. And that's what Chuck was told. So I'm going to go with it. I don't know how significant this is. Maybe it's not that significant, but... Um, uh, it is a radically different view uh, that people actually do hear, and that you know they don't have to be a Christian. Okay. So anyway, uh, Matthew, it sounds like you have heard as well over the years. Now I asked you over the phone recently if you hear. You know what I mean? And uh, you're framing it kind of like a yes or no question. I understand why you basically you said no, right? But you have heard things in the past, right? I think I figured definition, but I, that's why I'm hoping this show will uh, enlighten me on. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what what exactly happened to you uh, a ways back? <clears throat> well, there's, there's going to be two separate uh, scenarios. When I was 18 years old, I was laying my back, you know, about to fall asleep. Here, these really two like male voices in my head. They're probably around 20 years old, giggling, laughing, saying, come on, don't laugh too much. He's going to hear us. It was clear as a bell in my head. It was the weirdest mm. thing. So that one I don't think was a, a positive entity. Then since I've... Yeah, that's something different. Uh, now, just pause there just a second here. All right. Um, now, see, that could be a demon, but there's a good chance that's not a demon. I want to say something. I may have said this last week. I don't remember. Um but people freak out about voice to skull technology. There's nothing to freak out about. Remember, um, these people are uncomfortable with it. They don't want to believe. Christians are so simple-minded that you know that most of them don't want to believe that the devil can read their mind. So they're totally unfamiliar with mind-reading technology, which we already proved existed. It's very easy to do that. They're just, and they're also in denial because they're kind of scared. But um, anyway, um, It's no big deal to, especially, you know, you're, you're an antenna, right? And everything is electrical. It's no big deal to hear something. If you hear something, you're not a bad person. Apparently, they think that, uh, okay, if this technology is real, you know, voice and skull technology, then God should protect his people. Well, as we've talked about many times over, uh, God is typically not protecting his people, although he protects everyone. The question is how much. And what is the quality of that protection? 
Um, but um, it's no big deal to hear something. You know, you're not a bad person. Would you agree with that, Matt? Oh, uh, yeah. You know, it's like your integrity is immediately questioned, you see. This could be from conspiracy theorists, too. A lot of people, even if they did hear it and they were suspicious that it was voice-to-skull technology, they wouldn't want to vocalize it, see? Mm -hmm. I think that this is happening to people, too, and that may not happen very often. Uh, there's all kinds of things that are going on, uh, on out there that are, you know, kind of ambiguous. We don't know for sure. For instance, like, I call it dream tech, dream technology. Uh, they could be playing with you when you're sleeping at night. In fact, I actually believe that they do. Now, is, you know, whether that actually carries over into your dreams or not, I don't know. But I do believe that they manufacture dreams. Um, it's like there's no area that, um, you know, you don't have to worry about, except for just taking you out and killing you physically. Um, we don't really have... Protection. God allows these um, black magicians, these uh, techno sorcerers, whatever you want to call them, to tamper with us and um, get involved with our lives and um, make people miserable. And in the big picture, it's because we live in a slave society. This is a very important truth. I've talked about it before. I won't go into it right now. But it helps to understand that America is like this, this new Egypt and that we have a different type of slavery it's not so much a physical slavery. There is a physical aspect to it. I mean, it, unemployment has to do with physicality, if you think about it. But it's primarily, like I said, um, enslavement of the, of the mind through propaganda and other means. But there's also this, um, you could call it electronic enslavement. And this overlaps with cell phones. Um, we're moving into that kind of electronic enslavement. And people are agreeing uh, to participate in this because they're basically addicted to this kind of technology. I mean, okay, so why don't you continue there with your, your story there, Matt? <clears throat> then my second experience, which is a lot more common and honestly is happening right now, there's an entity uh, who I call Maria. I've known her since 17. I'm constantly hearing just very short words like, hey, or do it, don't stop. And that's all I hear, and I don't know if that's actually hearing or if that's hallucination. I meet her in my dreams sometimes, but it's almost like foggy where like there'll be a five second conversation all of a sudden totally change the scenes, different movie. So I can't totally understand if uh, this is positive hallucination. I don't know. But even with headphones and I can totally hear responses of words. And it's very often when it comes to a situation of choice or if I state something, sometimes there's a laugh or, or a comment, but it, it's very short. Well, I think we're going to try to get some revelation on that earlier because we've ran into this kind of thing before. Now, you're unmarried, correct? Correct. Okay. Uh, people have to give us a bit of a break here, okay? But um, there's a new society that's about to emerge on the scene. And it's God's society, and it's going to be a separate society. Uh, God is not going to reform this society. He's going to allow it to be destroyed, or he's going to destroy it, just like every other society all through history. My understanding is it's going to be prolonged for some time. Um, I could be wrong. There could be 
another society that replaces it, this it depends on what you define as a collapse. Um, but anyway, this new society has to do with the exodus that we talk about. And uh, everything will be different there. And uh, there are people who are going to be on the exodus that are in a state of you know, suffering or lack. And one of these, you know, they're kind of like, why is this happening to me? Okay? If you could divide your, your life up into two, two different stages, before the exodus and after the exodus. In the first stage, whether you realize this or not, your life is a preparation that leads up to the exodus. In other words, a lot of the things that you're going through, you go, why do I have to go through this, God? And you don't get an answer because you have a lack of information and you may not know anything about the exodus. In the future, you'll look back and go, oh, that's why God was doing that. And you'll look at your whole life as kind of like this preparation for the second stage, you see. And the people that are going to make it, they don't prosper like the people that are not going to make it. Now, I'm going to just focus on Christians, okay? Most Christians are not going to make it on the Exodus, okay? Now, what happens to them after that, we're not going to deal with that right now. So a lot of them are going to be martyred, okay? And that might be a good thing. Uh, you don't want to talk about torture or enslavement, okay? We're not talking about the kind of enslavement we're talking about right now. But um, I don't know how much we want to go into this, but... Um, there are life partners out there that are waiting that God has for people because um, pretty much everybody is going to have a life partner on the Exodus. I can't imagine that not happening based actually on this new revelation that we have on Unix, which we were going to talk about on tonight's show. Um, and so um, you kind of experience a delay in this life before meeting your life partner because you know when you're going to meet your life partner? On the exodus. Now, you can either receive that or, or you can't. Now, why am I saying all that? We can only determine this by revelation. But people are hearing things. They'll hear like a female voice. And um, when we inquire about this, um, we are told that it's, now, we're not talking about an angel, okay? So these are human spirits. And I'm not saying that this is what's going on, uh, Matthew. We'll try to get some revelation on it. That's the only thing you can do. Otherwise, you're just in the dark. But they are, um, it's the spirit of your future spouse. And this happens to both males and females. They, they hear from them now, okay? And um, we'll try to get some revelation on it, and then we'll go from there. Because, see, once you find that out, everything changes. You're like, well, wow, I want to hear, you have this desire. You know what I mean? And uh, you can get, like, really happy, like, initially. Like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, that's like my future wife talking to me. I would lean in that direction. Well, to be uh, uh, honest with you, when I see her in my dreams, like, that's exactly my type. Like, there you go. Now, 10 out of 10, that's it. <laughs> okay, now, pa Pastor Charles has already talked about this. Now, we've talked about the pastors a higher and lower level, okay? In other words, if, if what we're saying is correct, everybody has an angel, okay? So theoretically, you're hearing from a human spirit, but that human spirit also has an angel, okay? So the reason I bring that up, you can hear from the angel too, 
typically hear you hear from the human spirit. But anyway, um, <clears throat> Pastor Charles has been hearing. Uh, I know this is hard to believe, but he's going to be. Uh, he's going to have a future wife, and uh, he's been hearing from uh, her angel for years, and uh, he mentioned this years ago. And that was his conclusion. Now, she would appear um, visually to him. Uh, I don't remember. It may have had been in a dream, but I know for a fact that he talked about times when it was not in a dream. Okay? Now, he has a special gift of sight. Okay? I could mention other people that experience the same thing. But if you have a future spouse on the Exodus and, and you know, nothing has happened yet, um, a good percentage of these people who are experiencing these things, it can actually be explained uh, that you're hearing from the spirit of your future spouse. And that's you know, totally out there. The reason it's out there is because nobody else is talking about that I'm familiar with. You know what I mean? You've got to have your ducks in a row. I mean, if you don't even believe in a personal angel or you don't think – if you don't think you can hear anything – uh, from anybody, you know, besides the devil and the Holy Spirit, then you're not going to hold to this view, and you're going to be skeptical. We all know that, okay? That, that's the problem with kind of talking about these things before God makes them plain. Right now, all, this, all, all these things are obscure. I mean, I just want to remind people that you can't get your Bible out and disprove this. It, it, there's virtually nothing in the Bible. I know people will try to, you know, reach for something. Give me a text, and let's put it in proper context and see if it actually applies to what we're talking about, because I don't believe there's anything. This is not going to refer to testing the spirits, by the way. Okay? First of all, I don't hold to the view that Christians hold to in that passage. I think it's, uh, well, it's in First John. They're thinking um, testing demonic spirits. It does not say that in the text. What the text does say, it talks about the Antichrist spirit. You heard me say a number of times that people interpret things through their their view their present view well christians don't believe in in an unholy spirit okay uh but the spirit speaks or the scriptures speak about the spirit of christ on more than one occasion okay what's the opposite of the spirit of christ by the way the spirit of christ is the holy spirit and they would agree with me okay but it talks about something that's the opposite of the spirit of christ and christians ignore that and it does it right there. It talks about the Antichrist spirit. They don't have a doctrine of an unholy spirit. Um, but I do. And I believe that that's what it's talking about. In other words, it's not talking about testing a demon. You know what I mean? It's talking about testing something, you know, information or experience and determining is it from the Holy Spirit or the unholy spirit. Now, have they ever thought about this? No. Well, there you go. You see? Now, at least potentially, there's a situation. They don't even have the um, ability to make a judgment. They always think that they do. Okay? Have they thought about the possibility that that could be um, the unholy spirit? No. So that verse does not apply the way they think it does. So what else do you have? Uh, I don't think you have anything. You know what I mean? So, see, this is why you have to have revelation, and then they're not going to trust that because they're overly focused on the written text, which we've said is a PSYOP. Because the Illuminati, they don't want any kind of information coming down from on high. They want to shut it all down. 
that is why they gave you this um, <clears throat> bibliocentric psyop. You know what I mean? And Christians don't realize that. So anyway, go ahead. Um, anyone else you want to say there? Uh, without external input, I wouldn't have much on that, that particular topic, but okay, every question I had would be realized. Outside of a dream? Just in, just uh, in a dream, I, right? I've heard from her clearly outside of dreams, but in the dreams are where I've actually physically seen the appearance. Okay. But the okay. voices match. Now, I'm going to say that on a percentage basis, I'll probably be proven correct on this when we try to get some revelation. But we'll, we'll see. Now, the reason I say that, that's the most likely thing based on my experience so far. Now, wouldn't that be exciting if you're hearing from your future wife? I don't even know what to think. I'd have to sleep on that one. It is possible. There's three different levels of communication. It's also possible to telepathically communicate with the person, and I don't recommend that. I've never tried to do this. Um, it has occurred with other people, but they, they, they contact me. And I'm going, who, who is this? You know I mean, like, what's going on here? You know. Um, so I'm just totally 100% passive with that. In fact, Chuck and I have already said we've never tried to deliberately contact an angel. I'm talking about initially. Or a human spirit. We, we don't do anything. They contact us. You know what I mean? So, okay, uh, anything else to say on that? Or do you have some other questions on a different subject? I've got questions on another subject if you're ready. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what I wanted to ask you was uh, what exactly are curse words and are they equal in all languages? Like, I know what the words are, but why are they taboo or what do they do when they're used? Okay, as far as a negative goes. Uh, it's something that I've thought about. And uh, now some curse words are obvious, okay? But you always have, unless you have things clearly outlined in Scripture, <laughs> you're not going to have this, okay? You'd have to have a modern updated Bible with a literal list kind of like almost out of the Urban Dictionary on Google, you know. These are the words, okay? You can't say these words. And um, obviously we don't have that. So some things are clear, uh, but other things, like most of the subjects, there's a gray zone. You're not sure. Now, I'll be the first to tell you it's best to err on the side of caution, right? Because your, your ultimate desire is supposed to be to please God. So if you're not sure, err on the side of caution and, and watch your language. I also want to remind people that everyone, according to Scripture, at least if you're elect, I don't want to get into it right now because the Bible talks about the elect, okay? You're an ambassador for God. You actually represent God to the world. And the reason I'm saying this is because people don't think about this, the way they act in chat rooms and on Facebook and, and things like that. Um... And God has sent us into this world to represent him, and we need to represent him well. You know, it says in Romans 2 that my name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And the reason that God said that there is because the Jews were very proud about their connection with the Torah. I mean, they had the Torah, and the other nations didn't. But see, they also had a higher degree of accountability, and you notice that God's people don't think about that. We've talked about that quite a few times. 
So that's why it's best to, to err on the side of caution. Remember that you represent God to the world, and they're watching. You know, when you go to the workplace, you'll notice that they're all oh, they're watching. They're watching to see if you're going to sin. You know what I mean? They don't, they're not looking for anybody else to sin, but they're looking for you to sin. And also, when you actually declare to your family, I'm a born-again Christian, uh, typically they think, aha, you know, uh, we'll see how long this lasts. Oh, but they're watching you. And boy, are they, are they harsh on you. I mean, this happened to me. I, I had to let years go by before these people finally started to acknowledge, okay, he's actually serious about this, you know what I mean? And they put you in that category. Oh, he's a conservative Christian. You're one of the Bible thumper types, you know. Okay, I guess he's uh, I guess he's serious about this. But in that early period, they think of you as the way that you used to be. They're not convinced. They think of the old you. You know what I mean? You know, he was a pot smoker or whatever the heck. You know what I mean? You know, the rock and roll guy. Um, yeah, we'll see how long this lasts, you know. And they are very slow to admit that something significant is going on at your end. So, go ahead. Well, I was thinking if uh, they had a modern Bible with a list of curse words, it'd be like, here's a list of words you cannot say, except for right now. Kind of like in Harry Potter, he, he who shall not be named, but here's his name, so you can't say it. So, I, yeah, I think you're right more point. about that. Um, Chris, Christians, conservative Christians are so text-driven that they neglect um, the conscience. You see, the conscience, and this is actually mentioned in, um, in Romans chapter 1, in reference to the judgment seat of Christ, where the, 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 you, can, you can look it right up there, the so-called Gentiles are not judged by the law. It actually says that. They're judged by their conscience, okay? But um, we're so text-driven that we're looking for these answers in Scripture. The answers are not in Scripture. I hate to tell you this, but um, as far as, you know, ethics, the Bible does not specifically address modern ethical issues. And this is very easy to prove. So how do you fill in the gap? Well, it's being led by the Spirit. That's like too simplistic for people. They want, they want more than that. But that has to do with your conscience. Your, your, the Spirit speaks through your conscience and convicts you. And... You know, uh, people are saying, well, that isn't, isn't true for everyone because their, their conscience can be seared with a hot iron. Okay, that's an either-or type thinking. I'm not talking about that. But your, your, your conscience can be blocked categorically. Like, say, with the F word, okay? You can be a conservative Christian, uh, be a millennial, and everybody around you, I mean, even other Christians, they use the F on, and uh, you literally don't get convicted about that. And maybe you never did, uh, but you should because you represent yourself to the world, right? And uh, I don't think you should be saying that word, uh, especially around other non-Christians. You know, but we do these kind of things when we're around our friends, right? Because everyone's looking and making these judgments, whether we like it or not. So I'm not talking about being a hypocrite, but you need to put your best self forward, not in a hypocritical way. But, you know, do your best to represent God before the world and, and watch your language. So, uh, you know, you can easily make the case that that is a sin. Uh, ethics are a bit complex um, because it may not always be a sin uh, before God. It could be sometimes, 
Now, some people wouldn't like that because they want to make it simple, make it clear. I don't want it complicated. Actually, ethics are very complicated, and um, this is why uh, you know it has these negative statements about uh, not judging. That, that's why the scriptures talk about that because those are the type of things that we leave to God. But in other instances, we're actually um, <clears throat> implored to make judgments. And Jesus said, judge righteous judgment. We are supposed to be making judgments. Uh, Paul is imploring people to make a decision in 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, you know, remove yourself from this, um, <clears throat> this um, apostate brother. Shun him so that he'll be led to repentance. Well, you're going to have to make a judgment. You're going to have to make a decision. Okay? I mean, this is pretty simple stuff. So, um, uh, you know, I can't authoritatively come out and go word by word. I'll say right on the radio. I've already talked about this before. Um, I say like with the word crap. Saying it right on the air, okay? Is that ever a sin? See, some Christians say, oh, that's a sinful word. Other people, they'd have the opposite opinion. Then you could say, well, maybe sometimes. You know what I mean? I mean, if, you're, if you've got a microphone in front of your face and the whole world is watching, if you're that kind of position, not the whole world, but you know, you're in the media or something like that and you're a Christian and you say the word crap, see the difference in accountability? So you've got to be very careful. And so it's best to err on the side of caution. <clears throat> that, and that, you got a good point there, because see, these words can mean different things in different cultures. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they got swear words that were like, what in the heck is that? I don't even know what the heck it is, you know? It's all done on an individual basis, and uh, every person has a different degree of accountability before God. And that's what makes things complicated. Also, uh, young Christians, they have these bad habits that they have to get rid of, and that's what Christianity actually is in a nutshell, is replacing bad habits with good habits, and it takes time. But um, uh, God will give you a break. Um, You know, you're actually enslaved to these different habits. They don't disappear overnight uh, unless God supernaturally helps you. He does that kind of thing. I was just telling a housemate of mine that, um, well, a long time ago, back in the early 80s, I used to chew tobacco. And people will say that um, that's more addictive than um, smoking cigarettes because it gets the nicotine into your bloodstream more efficiently, you know, under your tongue, whatever the heck like that. Mm-hmm. But um, God delivered me of that one day. I didn't really uh, have a big desire to quit. I was thinking about it, and I just quit. Never had a chew again and never had a desire or temptation. I, I mentioned that because that is a good example of supernatural deliverance. Most of the time, God does not do that. And why is that? Because he wants you to struggle. He wants you to learn. He actually wants you to experience failure. Why? So you can learn about yourself, know thyself, and lean on him and look to him in all things. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. See, God's a wise teacher. He's a wise father. He knows what he's doing. Okay, so anyway. That's sufficient. Yeah, I think you pretty much covered it. Uh, basically, there's no authority. It's... There's always going to be a word that people could wrangle about, 
and there's no authority that you know either way. I could cut. I could. There's got to be some word out there. Now, people will take a high moral ground and they'll say, well, if you say the word crap, you know, you're always sinning. I, I, I wouldn't. I definitely would not do hold to that view. A lot of times it has to do with intention too. Anyway, go mm-hmm. ahead. Uh, based on what you're uh, describing to me, it's the difference between a clean room and a dirty room. Trying to find something in a clean yeah. room is a lot easier, and the dirty room is you got all these obstacles that are going to get in your way. Some of that has to do with if you actually believe that you're swearing, whatever the word is, mm. if it's a questionable, but if you believe that it's swearing and you know that you're doing it, God may hold you accountable. Or another person, and not to my, someone speaking in ignorance, but he sincerely believes that there's nothing wrong with that word. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, it may not be sin for that person. Now, people don't like that either because it sounds like there's subjectivity there, but there actually is subjectivity, subjectivity even in the law, because it applies differently to every person. And the reason is people have different degrees of accountability. Now, there's other categories of accountability where well, that's not true. It depends what we're talking about. Okay? I mean, when you look at the law of Moses, I'm speaking generally, it, it, there's nothing to tweak, okay? Um, it is what it is. You don't alter it uh, on an individual basis, okay? But on another case, this is, a, this is something lesser. It's not quite important. There is some degree of subject, subjectivity because people have different degrees of responsibility, okay? But as a general rule, no, you, you don't alter the, the law of Moses for each individual. It is what it is, you know what I mean? But see, we're not talking about that. We're talking about things that are not objectively laid out before you, you know what I mean? That gray area they're talking about. Okay, so anyway, go ahead. All right, then what you're describing to me is that there's a flexible law as far as the application, and that's what we're trying to mimic down here on a lower realm of Earth. And basically, we're we're failing short because we're trying to make a very hard book fit for everybody. So I, I like your description of it being flexible and it's a selective application, being able to actually judge instead of saying, I'm forced to sentence you even though you did nothing wrong. So uh, you gave yeah, a pretty good explanation for that. It's, it's easy to take the high moral ground and say that it's a sin. Anybody can do that. That's what conservative Christians will typically do. I don't believe that God's like that. I think it's more complex than that. But we're talking about things that are not specifically condemned in Scripture. That's the problem we run into. And they want to go to, to, to the Scriptures. You see? They will have a passage, um, like in the book of Philippians, they'll try to apply it across the board. See, that's what I'm trying to avoid. It's, it's more complex yes. than that. Or fortunately, fortunately. Well, that uh, brings me Sometimes. into my... Oh, go ahead. Sometimes we're sinning less than we think we are, and sometimes we're sinning more than we think we are. Okay, go ahead. That brings me into my uh, next question then, because I was going to ask about uh, angels sinning. You've got the Book of Enoch. They're being punished, but they don't need a Jesus figure is my understanding. So what I'm trying to understand is uh, are they qualified to be able to repent for their own sins without external help? Like they're clean enough or have a high enough level to be able to... uh, Physically, through through their own efforts, basically repent for their own sins, get back to the status they had, or at least close to it, and they don't need a Jesus figure like we do. Like, sin for them is requiring a different level of jail time, and they can actually 
pay back through the system while we can't. We need someone to speak for us in the courtroom. Yeah, that's a big question. Are you talking to, it seems like early on you were talking about um, repenting or changing under their own power or ability. Is that what you're yeah. talking about initially there? Uh, basically them being able to do it without Jesus because they're a higher level. Okay. Um, if I was to phrase the question, do they need the Savior, I would say uh, yes and no. And I'm not sure about saying mostly yes or mostly no. Uh, directly no, because um, the Savior is, is for humans. This would be the same thing for the elfin realm, okay, or any other kind of creature besides humans. But um, the entire creation is um, reconciled with God through Christ. That's the plan. You know, ultimately, you can see that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, basically. So um, there's a sense what they do. Now, do they have the power to reform themselves? I would say yes and no, but ultimately no. Okay? Because, mm-hmm. see, the old view, I would have said uh, no, because the creature is dependent upon God, uh, for everything, at every point along the line. Everything the creature has from moment to moment is actually a divine gift. Okay? Um, the thing is, with these um, divine beings, we've talked about this before, they're not anywhere comparable with God, but they're heavenly sons of God. They're in this divine family. And this is not Armstrongism. This is not the Worldwide Church of God, which doesn't actually exist anymore, but it used to. They have offshoots. But Herbert W. Armstrong used to teach this, and people have this tendency to, to just reject that because, oh, that's what he said. And, of course, the, the Mormons, they talk about these divine beings, okay? But what God does, he gives you a certain status um, or an, an ability um, that you kind of function out of, Okay? And uh, I would have said before that, um, like I said, that you, you're entirely dependent upon the, uh, the creator, no matter who you are, because you're a creature, no matter how high or low. But um, I don't believe that everything is predestined, like I used to. So mm-hmm. the things that need to be predestined to bring about certainty with God's plan, everything has been preordained. Um, the lesser things, no. Now, there's absolutely no question, if you talk about freedom of the will, which you won't hear me talk about very much, but it's not necessarily in opposition to um, predestination. Um, the creature can act independently in a qualified sense. Okay? Now, like I said before, the sense where the creature is entirely dependent upon God is proven um, by Hebrews 1.3, and also talks about this again in Colossians 1, that, that the Son of God upholds all things by the word of his power. That has to do with his providence, okay? That would include angels. Now, the reason this is important is because their very being 
their ability to exist from moment to moment comes from God. So they're entirely dependent upon God for their existence. And don't get me wrong, uh, angels are not going to dissipate into a state of non-existence mm-hmm. uh, because I've said that they have eternal spirits. Um, that's the difference between a human and an angel. I've talked about creation cycles before. So as long as you're in this current creation cycle, if you're not talking about what kind of body you have, a celestial body, you're going to have that body until God changes it. He could give you a better body because the Bible talks about a good resurrection and a bad resurrection. And it's a bit complex, but it actually refers to angels. In other words, you could have angels that are condemned. They're sent to Tartarus or whatever with a, with a bad resurrection body, basically, but they acquire a better one later. I'm not talking about that right now, okay? Mm-hmm. But um, that is the sense where you're always dependent upon God. But these, um, especially these lofty Elohim, they have um, privileges to act independently, uh, especially if they're in the 70 or the 140, which includes the females. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the lesser angels, they're much more servile. They don't have a lot of power. They just take orders. You know what I mean? So they don't have as much personal freedom. If they have an order, they have to carry it out. Where a, a, a higher Elohim can shuffle his feet or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying he's not going to get in trouble. But God deals with them differently because they have a tremendous amount of authority, especially down here. Uh, this is a side note that I have not emphasized as much as I currently believe that um, I've mentioned it, but I don't remember where, that uh, human beings are basically pawns. And the reason I say that is to emphasize that the Elohim are highly involved behind all this human activity. You've heard me say how the Illuminati don't really do anything significant as far as planning. They take orders. Okay? Mm-hmm. So what you do is you take that and you apply it to the side of light. Okay? The same thing is true. These angels are heavily involved in our culture. They're actually, and I know this is very difficult to comprehend, they're actually culture creators. Okay? Now, they could be good ones or bad ones, but they're both involved in culture creation. And I know it's extremely difficult for a Christian to even think about the possibility that what he's going to call a good angel, or the scripture refers to him as an elect angel, could have anything to do with culture creation. Okay? But um, they either do or they don't. And if they do, then they do. You know, there's a lot of things that um, the human mind has difficult processing or imagining. And uh, if you're hearing that for the first time, you're going to have difficulty processing that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, it may be actually holding things back. Uh, a lot of times the dark ones initiate something. And so the eventual result is um, a conglomeration of um, a dark spirit initiating something and then uh, God using a a lighter spirit, which is an elect angel, to hold it back. And the end product is something that's a combination of the two. I'm just saying that because that that would be hopefully a way to uh, help a Christian understand that angels, they're involved with culture creation. I mean... In other words, what you actually see in Hollywood is a mixture. It, it may be uh, 90% dark angel and 10%, you know, God says, no, they're not going to be able to do that. You gotta, they're going to have to back off. Get down there, you know what I mean, and uh, temper things a little bit, you know what I mean? 
But the um, – no, I'm not just saying that because I actually believe there's things out there – I know it sounds crazy, but uh, I believe <laughs> – I believe that these um, elect angels are actually involved with making movies on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if I should even bother bringing that up because I'd have to explain all that. I don't want to do that right now. But uh, they have um, a lot of freedom, the lofty ones, and they can do things like that. And um, we have the simplistic view that you know Hollywood is 100% evil. There's nothing good. So God would never allow these angels to get involved. Well, first of all, these angels are not pristine like Christians think they are. You know what I mean by pristine? They're not perfect. Mm-hmm. They're everything in creation is this is a simplistic view, is a vessel. It's a carrier of light and darkness. And every single one of these vessels, no matter how high or ho- how low, they have different degrees of light and dark. Why does this have to be so hard? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, keeping that in mind, then there's this, there's, there's this red line. Whether you're either an elect angel or you're not. Now, the scripture actually refers to elect angels. So if you're not elect, you're a reprobate. Okay? Uh, that word is not used so much in the newer translations, but it means rejected. It has to do with predestination. Okay? The decree of predestination, you can't do anything to alter that. Is, is, you know, whether you're an angel or you're human, you're actually fated, okay? Uh, the good news is, is that you're also predestined to be reconciled with God in the distant future, and I'm talking about way in the future. I mean, it's so far in the future, it wouldn't even help you on an emotional level, and, you know, eventually I'm going to get out of hell, you know? Mm-hmm. You couldn't even comfort somebody with that because they couldn't relate to it. You know, I've got to go to hell for a long time. I don't care about that, you know what I mean? But, um, the value of it is there is hope on the distant horizon that God will repair everything eventually. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we should expect from God because he has that ability. And his desire to repair and reorder and restructure everything is greater than this desire to punish everyone for their, these finite sins for alternative. eternity. See, people, they're not hearing an alternative. And the only thing they ever hear over and over again is that um, universalism is a heresy. You cannot prove that with Scripture. There's no, actually, there's no Scriptures that discuss the doctrine of universalism and say anything good or bad about it, because there are doctrines that are discussed. It never discusses the doctrine of universalism. So they have no proof at all, except for a prejudice. And you, you better believe, if that was the true teaching, you think the devil would want people to know that? No. No. So that's why we have propaganda. And you also see that people don't investigate. You know, if you ask them, can you give me a single verse um, that you can use to illustrate that this is a heresy? There's a good question. Then they will they'll kind of fumble around. Go, well, there isn't anything. I'm just telling you. Okay. Uh, anyway, on to the next issue. Whatever. This could be kind of a uh, big question. Honestly, all these are going to be. Uh, what I don't understand as far as uh, cosmology goes is you'll uh, say like an angel is uh, signed with a star or they're with a planet. I don't understand what a star or planet is, how far away they are, and what it means to be owned or assigned to an angel or person. Because that, without that knowledge, I can't understand when they move or do anything what that means. So is it like a deal okay. to a house? Or go ahead. 
Okay, the book of uh, Enoch, yeah, it's the only place that I'm aware of off the top of my head where it actually talks about this, this kind of mechanical-type cosmology where the angels are moving the stars around. What it doesn't tell you is, um, is that the angel that's actually associated with that star? Uh, I ran a check on that recently. I think I might have mentioned it on the show. Did you hear me talk about that? I, what I did is uh, we tried to get some revelation, and we asked, do the angels actually move these stars in the night sky? You know, like if Mer- Mercury is in retrograde, there's an angel assigned to that to move it, and it doesn't give us the details. Um, the reason I asked that question is because I just assumed that, that Michael is not involved with that directly. I could theorize that he is involved indirectly because everything is hierarchy up there and that he would be involved with an, a, a lesser angel that actually does move it. You know what I mean, I don't think that he's uh, involved with moving it, but I'm holding to kind of a simplistic view, you know, like angels have arms or something like that. And you kind of envision them moving the star, you know, that's what they're mm-hmm. assigned to. Now, see, these lofty Elohim, they're multitaskers. This is what you see when um, you see these Hindu gods with all these different arms. That's what they're trying to communicate. They can do many things at once. So you don't want to put limitations on him. Uh, He can do all kinds of things and move the star at the same time from a distance. I'm talking about like hands-on type thing. You know what I mean? I'm just doing that to kind of um, illustrate that. You know, he's got better things to do than be involved with hands-on movement of of his star. Okay. Okay. we're going to uh, brush over this a little quickly because we're, we're rejecting the, um, the modern view of the existence of planets, which you, if you go far back enough in history, I'm not going to get into the skeptical you know, view of history where you can't determine anything because uh, it just leads to confusion. Um, ultimately, it's difficult to communicate things or teach anything. You know what I mean? Because, wow, you know that for sure, Dave, you know, according to your belief system, you know. Uh, so we're just going to skip over the skepticism aspect. Um, but in the ancient world, nobody believed in planets, if you go back far enough. Uh, first of all, the cosmology is too small. If you're going to have planets, they'd have to be small planets. In other words, it just comes down to a terminology problem. Um, they're small objects, and you call them a planet. Well, if you want to call them a planet, go ahead. I talk about, you know, planet dum-dum or planet... Uh, Slave planet, and I don't believe in planets, you know, so I'm just using the word just to communicate, you know. You can believe in that. But um, what we call the stars, they're actually quite small. I would say as a general rule, they're about, see, even I don't know this because there's larger and smaller ones because you have the primary seven, which have to do with the seven Elohim that stand before the throne. Their stars are bigger, and we've been told that they are not placed in the firmament, exactly how that works. You can think of the firmament as like a, a giant umbrella, and the stars are kind of like jewels, okay? And what we've been shown is there's this theory that perhaps th- these upper stars are not actually in the firmament. They're kind of like, you know, they exist just below it. Uh, but we were shown... I should probably run a check on this. This is older revelation. That they are 
placed in the firmament, however that works, and you're trying to figure out, now hold it here. How can they be fixed in the firmament if you have uh, alignments of constellations and all the stars are moving around in, in different configurations? Um, I don't remember who got this revelation, but they, however this works, they actually shift around in the firmament. However you want to um, envision that. Can you, <laughs> you know, if you're hearing that for the first time, you're kind of going, what? Well, here's the thing. If they're in the firmament, they, they have to move. They have to move. Okay? So an argument, you know, that they're not stuck in the firmament is the fact that they move. I'm talking about a middle position where they are in the firmament, they're basically placed in the firmament, but they're able to shift around. Okay? And uh, I've never heard anybody say that before. And I never even thought about it before. I might have theorized about it. I don't remember. But that is something that is common when you hear the opinion of an angel. It's like something you never even thought about before. You go, what? Um Anyway, that's what we've been told. And then there's 32 different celestial objects that are below the firmament. And like all the other stars, they have to do with a, um, a singular deity or divine being, celestial being, whether they're good or evil. Uh, there's a quaternity. And then below that, this has to do with the sun and the moon. And then you, you have an anti-type of that. And then below that, you have uh, 28 stars. And I don't, I, don't, I don't believe in an anti-sun, okay? Just to be technical. I mean, technically, it's not a sun. Uh, just, you know, you, for communication purposes, you can call it like an anti-sun, but it's actually not a sun. And this is the, the star associated with Satan. And he has a consort that they covered up. That's why I never hear about it. And she has a, an anti-moon. And both these objects are visible, but they're clouded. The Illuminati throws up veils. And God doesn't keep them veiled all the time. You can see them from time to time. Now, the reason you don't see them more is because of these veils. And the reason they have veils is because they're sacred objects. They don't want you to see them. They don't even want you to know anything about them. And the only thing you'll hear about them is confusing propaganda. The anti-moon is so sacred, there's pretty much, pretty much um, a blackout on that one. And I know it sounds strange, but um, I think that Satan actually protects his consort. You'll see this kind of thing where the Illuminati protect the ancient Sumerian queen, Semiramis, or however we want to pronounce her name. Um, all you'll get is confusion, um, conflicting stories. We don't have any clarity. You actually don't hear much about her in culture, despite the fact that people say this is theory, that her symbolism is all over the place. You want know, logos and things like that. This is a huge subject we've talked about before. Okay, um, what you need to do, uh, Matthew, is ask me very specific questions based on uh, what I've said so far, because I know you want to know more about this. Yes. So ask me another a specific question. Uh, this will involve an example, and I'll see if I'm anywhere close. 
Um, my star is a car. I park at a Burger King, so you're associating me going to Burger King. I go to the, the bar. You know, I go to the bar. Is that what it means to be associated with the star? They're the people. Whoever owns the star is the one parking it, or can someone else move it? Because I'm trying to understand what does association mean. Uh, I don't know. I could theorize that the lesser celestial beings are actually involved with moving their star. Uh, somebody has to do this, and if they're doing it, they have their own star. So you could theorize, I'm going to theorize that the lesser celestial beings actually move their star, but they're, they can also multitask. You know what I mean? And that would be a good argument right there that there is multitasking because they don't just go around moving stars. They have to do other things. Then you go up to um, the higher celestial beings. And I, I, I'm going to theorize they have some kind of involvement, but probably it's less hands-on. That's the only thing I can say right now, safely. Does that help at all? Uh, let me kind of ask you in a different way. What does the star do for the angel? Like, why do they own it? Why do they care? Like, what purpose does it serve besides moving and, like, giving a sign? To be associated, what purpose does it serve for an angel? Because that's what I don't understand. Well, I, I think that there's a purpose. Um, there's some things to say about this in more detail, but the knowledge is lost. That's why we'd have to have revelation. But it's on a simplistic level, um, God designed it in such a way that these stars represent the angels. That's why you'll see um, certain scriptures that don't properly distinguish between a celestial object and, and the, uh, the celestial being. It just says star. So you have to go by the context. And it's obvious in certain contexts, for instance, like the early part of uh, Revelation 12, I mean, everybody agrees with this, that the star is actually a celestial being, right? This is when it talks about a third of the angels spell. It refers to them as stars. You know what I mean? It, it calls them stars. Uh, but there's other contexts where it could be a double metaphor. It could refer to the star and the celestial being. And, and those are the ones where it's difficult to, to tell if it's a double metaphor. And so I spent the entire podcast one time talking about this, trying to prove that, you know, at least in certain contexts, when it says star, it's a double metaphor. Okay? So, I mean, this is not a problem for even young Christians. They actually figure out very quickly, at least in certain contexts, that it doesn't say angel, it just says star, but it's talking about an angel. Because and, and you, you can kind of tell, you see. But what they have lost is this older truth or reality that every star is closely identified with a celestial being. And that would explain why they're double metaphors in certain contexts. Okay, so go ahead. No, I, I think that pretty much uh, filled the gap I was having then. Okay. Uh, I know this is a huge topic, but talk about reading the stars, like seeing movements. Uh, somehow people were able to look at these and see, uh, get a little bit of prediction or a little bit of a window I guess I assume they had to have revelation to get this done because I'm assuming all the stars move or is only a couple at a time. But 
I'm assuming each star moving in some way has a, a relation to the others, and that tells you, you know, uh, where they were going and what happened. So if I got star one and star two that moved to a different coordinates, I do whatever session I need to have with Revelation, and then I can understand, oh, this means X, Y, and Z. Am I uh, on track with how this uh, system sort of works as far yeah, as... Uh, Okay. If you go down to the fundamentals, to the fundamental question is why do we even have stars? Okay, so if you go back to Genesis 1, it tells us that these um, objects were placed in the sky to communicate something. Now what I'm saying, and I've already mentioned this before, is we've lost the meaning. When you have like a, like a just an omen in the sky. Yes. Okay. We don't have an authority today unless they have revelation that can even tell us what these omens are. We've um, A lot of this information was based on a long-standing tradition you could kind of build off of that tradition the tradition got truncated the christian church we don't do omens we, we don't interpret the stars you see that but, mm -hmm. but they used to in that culture this is what the magi did see and you know we relate that to the to the occult satan actually shut it down i actually believe that god looked through satan to shut it down like he did with a lot of things satan is the one that carries it out we're talking about blindness, women, um, ignorance. By the way, you've got some, um, I'm assuming it's you, but it may not be you. You've got some weird background noise there. It almost sounds like water or something. I'm going to... Hey, Chuck, if you want to get some sleep, go ahead, uh... We're not going to need it tonight. He might have already fallen asleep, but I'm going to mute him. There's kind of a weird buzzing sound, too. Oh, that might be my little heater behind me. I can quiet that down. Okay. Has that been on the whole time? No, just lately. Huh. Then I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, it's definitely something electrical. It's kind of a buzz. Yeah, that's so weird. Uh, I'm going to mute uh, Kept from Meyer and see if it helps me. No, it's still there. Huh. Yeah, there's nothing that should be that loud. I don't know. It, it's not too bad. Okay. Well, I guess I uh, got the next question going then. Something I was curious about. I was uh, reading. You know, uh, you know, these questions that you're asking, I mean, I could mm -hmm. go on and on. Oh, yeah. With more and more detail. It all depends on how, how long you want to stay there. Uh, there's more I could say. Uh, go ahead and unload it with the Cosmo uh, when it comes to the stars, then, because I'm, I'm still only halfway there. I think I've got what you're getting at. Well, let me, let me say something. Uh, the stars have a purpose, and according to Genesis 1, they, they communicate something, okay? And um, that may be their primary purpose, is to communicate something, but we've lost the meaning. You can see at the Christian church, if you go back to Genesis 1, and you ask pastors, well, what does all this mean? They, they don't know anything. We've lost the ability to, to interpret signs in the heavens. That's what it says in Scripture, right? Genesis 1. He set them in the sky to be signs. Well, what's the meaning? Nobody knows anymore. Right there you can see lost knowledge. 
see? Uh, the phases of the moon are very important. Uh, you'll see them linked up with the, uh, the festivals, the ancient Hebrew festivals. You know, and actually um, ancient cultures were very tied to the moon. You know what I mean? They watched the moon and they planted and did other things based on the moon. And there's still people that do that kind of thing today, by the way. Not, not too many. You know, maybe, how many Christians are doing stuff like that? You know, Christian farmers? See, they, they're not even thinking along these lines, you know, so. Okay. Uh, I was reading Genesis a couple days ago, and I was thinking about this. Uh, Garden of Eden, Adam gets kicked out, and uh, God puts two cherubim angels to guard it. That tells me he expects people to try to come back in, or there is some way to access it by people he didn't want there. Do you have any idea of who those individuals might have been? Well, because you don't guard something. Yeah. Like so many things in Scripture, it doesn't say that, okay, but it does imply that. Uh, but that would be um, the only thing I could say is somebody that would have access. Uh, the number one person at the top of the list would be Cain, just because of hierarchy. Okay. Now, I'd have to prove this, but I believe that the scripture refers to him as the son of perdition. Uh, Yeah, I'm aware that it refers to Judas as well, because I believe that he incarnated later as Judas. We don't believe in universal reincarnation, but the scripture makes allowance that certain important people or celestial beings can be involved with incarnating more than once, okay? And on the side of, um, you know, reprobation, he's preeminent. And this is why he was born first. The Christians don't think much about bloodlines, importance of bloodlines. But if you're thinking along those lines, you start to realize, well, why does he have the privilege of being born first? Just like why, of all the souls that were, have ever incarnated, why was Mary Magdalene chosen to have the privilege of being the first to witness the resurrection of Christ? They don't think about that either. Okay, but because they're so important, and people be scratching their head, well, why is Mary Magdalene so important? Well, based on what I just said, there's probably a mystery about her that you haven't really thought about before. She's more important than you think. Actually, she becomes important just because of that one thing, even if she wasn't important before. Like I said before, I believe that she used to be Eve, and that's why Jesus met her in the garden. And uh, I've talked about that before. Okay, so he would be first on the list. Um, But see, we don't even know whether it was to keep celestial beings out. See, we're making the assumption that that it's humans, or it could be both. We don't even know that. But like a lot of things the Bible doesn't tell us, this is just open to speculation. But someone uh, had at least the potential ability to get into the garden because scholars will actually say, that the word should be translated as a park. Okay, well, it doesn't sound as good. It doesn't sound as good as the word um, the word garden, you know, the park of Eden. But uh, they say that it's implied in the original language, which doesn't really exist because we're talking about Paleo-Hebrew, that it's an enclosure. Okay, so despite, now the reason it was enclosed is it had to do with protection. Oh, my, we've got some new revelation on that. I'm just thinking about this right now. 
And this was information that was volunteered to Chuck. Yeah, it had to do with they were in, they were in a little enclosure. Now you're thinking of this enclosure as being a wall, but it doesn't say that. Now you, you can see that that if it was a dome, scholars wouldn't think about that. It's just kind of a little bit too out there. Um, I hold to the view that it was a dome. I think Chuck was shown that. But we have an important update that I was going to mention anyway. We can run a check on this. It didn't come through me, so if it's not correct or if he misunderstood, all humans make error. Okay, so you don't want to live or die over this, but Chuck believes that he was told that the so-called uh, pre-Adamic age or era was still intact. We'll come with the golden age, okay? It's spoken about. That's weird. That sound just came on and off there. But uh, um, that it ended in the cataclysm. Then there was a new age. We call it the Adamic age, the Adamic era. That began with Adam. Uh, Chuck believes that he was shown, and this was information that was volunteered. He just, we just listened to his angel talk to him about this. Uh, the Golden Age extended beyond the creation of uh, Adam's body, and it ended with the fall. And I have to say, I had never even thought about this before. But I changed my view. I'm going to hold to that. It's so important that we'll, run it, want, it, we'll want to run a check on it. But I intended to make that public. And um, if we run into any problems, then I'll, I'll make that known at some point. But I changed my view. I had never thought about this before. And if I remember correctly, um, Chuck, are you there? He's KB. He's gone, isn't he? Um, yeah, I he dropped out. He said it, I believe he said it was an enclosure. So it's almost like they had a little, had a little uh, firmament over there. Now, here's the thing. If they were being protected from celestial beings as well, um, the most obvious view or conclusion, it would not be a wall. It would be a full enclosure. In fact, we have speculated, and we ran a check on this, that Revelation 12.14 talks about enclosure as well. So, so you're going to assume, okay, there's a wall, okay? But years ago, we were shown it's actually a dome. And, and if you're going to think about all the different, you could call them platonic solids or whatever the heck, um, the most likely one would be a, a, a uh, some kind of a sphere or a half a sphere. But actually, I think that an oblate spheroid, you know, where you have less radical curvature is more likely. But what I'm talking about, it's, it's not just on the surface. It goes underground as well. So it's either an oblate spheroid or it's a sphere. And the reason you want to have total protection is actually from the Illuminati. Because they're just going to come up from below. That's no problem with them, right? Um, but you don't have to have 
a sphere or an oblate sphere, or you could simply have a floor. In other words, you could have a half sphere or a half oblate spheroid, mm-hmm. but you have to have protection from below. So I'm saying that I believe that that's what they had in Eden as well, and the scholars have assumed that it was a wall. Yeah, there's some interference here, electrical interference. Yeah, as soon as I switch on my mic, it's very weird. I'm not sure what's going on here. Uh, they're doing things. Well, now I'm reverberating in the background. Yep. Um, you could possibly call back in. I can give it a try, and we'll see how I do. I have a little something I can talk about. Okay. Okay, go ahead and call back. Okay, so last week I was talking about this, um, all this weird stuff that they do on a technological level. And I was talking about um, my theory that a lot of this has to do with the AI, like stuff on Facebook. And so I was texting Barb back and forth on Facebook. She had asked me a question, and I was responding. Last week I was talking about how they interfere with the keyboard. You see here. I thought I wrote this down. Well, I did write it down, but i got to find out where the heck it's at. Um... I copied and pasted it somewhere. Unfortunately, I don't know where that's at. Anyway, basically what they did, maybe I can talk about this when I actually find exactly what was said, but they um, they interfered with texting her, and they spoke in place of her. It wasn't something really big, but we were talking about the AI. Made a joke about the AI. And uh, and it, it appeared that she responded with a LOL, but it was small case. And then uh, I discovered later that she did not do that. And they actually erased what I said at her end, and she never saw it. And I had to tell her what I typed. And so they actually interfered with the text. I don't know who did that. I don't know if the AI did it. Somebody did. They erased what I said, and they gave her a response of an LOL. Isn't that bizarre? So (laughs) I was going to mention that actually last week, but I forgot, even though I had a little note to myself. Okay, uh, let's see if Matthew sounds any better here. Are you back? Uh-oh. It's, I can still hear it. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Everything's very quiet in my room. It's not too bad. It sounds like an electrical humming. That, that's what it is, electrical humming. Huh. And, and I've never heard it before, ever. Yeah, I don't know. So. Well, uh... Yeah. Guys, 
if you guys have a question, if you can type it out coherently, I got to be able to understand it. Um, I wouldn't get too complicated, but you can you can type a question in the chat room if you want. Uh, I wonder who five five nine is. Is that Channy? Is that you, Channy? No, it's uh, Open Think. Oh, okay. Well, you can ask me a question too. You, can you hear that electrical uh, sound? Yeah, yeah, Matt. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a it's like humming. So, yeah, it's a humming. It's not, so weird. it's not it's not too bad. Yeah, it's not too bad. So um, anyway, you can be thinking of a question. I am reverberating though. Do you have any kind of um th anything you can turn off? Because usually there's two things going at once when you hear reverberation. Yeah. That's that's actually my prime prime position. It's not too bad. It's real low. I've never heard of. Yeah, low but it's low there. Okay. That's about the best I can do. Sorry. Okay. It's not too bad. Okay. Uh, go ahead there. I, I was going to mention you're talking about the AI messing with you, and I was uh, downloading a file and had to do on those uh, CAPTCHA things. And it had my last name missing one letter, and it said, man, stop, for the Kachka. And it, I took a picture of it. I'm like, man, that's the weirdest thing. Yeah. Uh, when people see these a little anomalies, they're going to get increasingly suspicious. Eventually. That's the AI or something related to that. Now, this is really weird. It, it, there's a new sound. I'm gonna I'm gonna mute the map. Please. Let's see. It sounds like a spray wand. Yeah, that's so weird. Like water being sprayed or something. This is bizarre. Yeah, there's nothing like that going on. I tell you what. Um, why don't you call me and I'll piggyback you on the phone, okay? Alright, I'll give that a shot. Okay, we'll try that. Unbelievable. Were you able to hear that sound too, Matt? Yeah, I heard it. It sounded like somebody was throwing some water on the floor or something. Okay, now here's what's important. Notice that that sound manifested for the first time immediately after I addressed the subject in more detail. See that? That's yeah. the indicator was deliberate. You know, this is deliberate. In other words, they're interfering. Yeah. Well, that, uh, I did that happens about to me. Yeah, that happens to me a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, we we you need to pray for uh, Mark. Yeah, yeah, I got I got a question. Um, uh, this Mark Passio. Mm -hmm. He he seems like he's an agent or something. Uh, I don't know. I'm not gonna make a judgment, but like in the way he does his seminars, I listen to him a little bit on a little bit of free time. And he he denies like the uh, 
literal Christ. He's more into the astrotheology and the uh, natural law. Um, okay, does he, he deny the resurrection what? of Christ's flesh? I haven't heard him actually literally say that, but based off other things he's said, he believes he he doesn't believe in the Christian religion, but he 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 doesn't deny or or say that Christ has rose again from the dead. He he's he, I've never heard him deny it. I've never heard him uh, for it either. So, all right. Uh, the, the only reason I his, brought that up is because that, that's the primary error. Go ahead. Yeah. But his main objective is to speak like natural law. And natural law means no, like, different things to different people in different contexts. So you have to have an overview of what his beliefs are. But. Well, he, he's really heavy on, he speaks about like how there's not really a literal Satan. And okay. he speaks about like the the occult uh, of Satanism is about self ego. Like he he was speaking about like it's like sort of like Antoine LaVey's form of Satanism. Okay, are you sure that he holds to the belief that there is no literal Satan? Are you one hundred percent certain about that? Yes, because I've heard him in one of his uh, talks, his lectures saying that he does not believe in like in the Satan literally, but he believes that Satan is like the self-ego of man. Okay. Um, that sounds pretty new age indeed, but I just want everyone to know that not only does the, the scripture say precisely nothing about anything that you must believe about Satan, you must believe this or that, at least. Okay, let's take an example, yeah. the most important thing. Where in the Bible does it say that you must believe in the existence of Satan? It, it says it's nowhere. Okay, and the reason I say no. that is because whatever you believe about Satan, it is not an essential doctrine. If it's an essential, the, the, the Bible will warn you, um, telling you you must believe this in a positive sense, or there'll be an admonition, yeah. a warning, don't believe this. It doesn't say anything about Satan. So basically, you're free to believe whatever you want about Satan unless you – now, the exception for that is something is blasphemous. If something is blasphemous, that's actually a, a denial of an essential. So if you claimed, yeah. like people are doing on YouTube, that um, the Hebrew God is actually Satan, uh, no, we're not talking about that one. That's a denial of an essential truth because that's a direct yeah. frontal attack on the nature of God, which clearly revealed in the Old and New Testament that he is holy. Yeah. And that doctrine will send you to hell. He never, that's why that well, doctrine is on YouTube. Yeah, okay. He, he, now, I just he, want to say – He never said that. If people have not heard of Mark Passio, he's a person out there that's created videos and podcasts, and he claims to be – uh, a former Satanist. Now, let me ask you, does he claim to be a former Illuminati? I'm not sure. No, no, no. He, 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 he was a Satanist, like, with, uh, under, like, Antoine LaVey's form of Satanism right. about the right. self-ego and stuff. Yeah, like that. Right. Now, that, that is LaVey and Satanism, and it's not Satanism. Everyone needs to hear that. That's not Satanism. What is Satanism? Well, first of all, what is theism? T-H-E-I-S-M. A theist is someone yeah. who believes that God is a per- 
a personal being and then he exists. Okay? Now, let's take an example. If you're a new ager and you believe in an impersonal God, you're not a theist. Now, the same exact, this is the opposite of having a new age impersonal God. If, if you claim to be a Satanist, um, well, here's the proper terminology, theistic Satanism, okay? But uh, Anton LaVey, I, I personally believe that he did believe in a personal Satan, and he worshipped him as a personal being. But um, he was actually put out there as, you know, somebody on a payroll uh, to promote yeah. uh, Satanism, uh, non-personal, non-theistic Satanism, to create a gateway to lure people into genuine Satanism. But if you don't believe that Satan is a personal being, you're not a Satanist, you know, if that's what your real belief is. Now, you may be pretending to be that for public consumption, okay? Mm-hmm. But that is not Satanism. So that's very important because you don't hear this often enough. You have to believe that Satan is a personal being. So now, one thing I want to say about him, you know, we're, we're backing off this view of calling people agents and stuff like that. You know, if I could be totally convinced um, but if I'm wrong, it's a form of slander. Okay? I'm sorry. So I would prefer... I, I didn't think you were. Okay, okay, yeah, I know. But I, I just want to say, I do not believe... He's not in my trust zone. There you okay. go. That's what I'll say about right. He's not... you got to do something to get into my trust zone. He is not... He's not done that. Um I don't necessarily yeah. have to focus on, you know, what he's doing at his end. I could just focus on my end. I'm just saying for whatever reason, he's, he's not in my trust zone. So what does that tell you what I think about him? I, I have reasons not to trust him. Now, you've already pointed out some problems there, but I'd have to confirm all that. So what the heck is Massey? Yeah. I thought he was going to call me. Let me try to call him, okay? Yeah. You can say something why I'm, so we don't have dead air here. All right. Are you yeah, there, Matthew? I, mean, but I don't think he's there. I thought I heard him say something. He shouldn't be because I think he's muted. Um, hmm. uh, but, uh, yeah, a lot of this propaganda, they, I mean, I'm just looking over some stuff on YouTube, not like it's my research because if you do true research, it's not really with YouTube, but just seeing some stuff that I have, like on this playlist I have, uh, there's a lot of big propaganda, like you said, like uh, like the Old Testament God, you know, like Yahweh is, is Satan in the Old Testament. I mean, there's a big, like, movement from these, I don't know, these New Agers or whatever, but there's, like, a big movement saying, like, uh, God is uh, Satan in the Old Testament, man. There's like one channel, his name's Global Witness. He's got over 30-some thousand followers or something. And people are just like eating it up, man. He's talking about like how God in the Old Testament killed all these innocent people. And he's not the real God of the New Testament like Jesus like talks about and stuff. And it's just like a bunch of all this nonsense. Yeah, there's answers uh, 
for everything, although they may not be that specific because sometimes we don't have the information. But most of those arguments that have to do with the problem of evil uh, can be explained uh, if we hold to the view that um, man's primary purpose here right now is to glorify God, whether he does good or evil. You have to explain that. But um, and experience suffering. Now, the reason I say experience suffering is because everyone is suffering, whether they know it or not. Most people are in denial. They really are, because they're on negativity overload. See, God sent us here to suffer and glorify him, whether we do good or evil. That's the way he set everything up. But setting that aside, um, everyone is suffering. So we're supposed to assume that that didn't have anything to do with God? Of course it did. That's his plan. They're acting as if this plan doesn't exist. It's self-evident that God wants us to suffer. Now, he wants everyone to suffer. Now, how often do you hear this? Because when these people um, come up with these things, they act as if this isn't true. They don't talk about it. And they try to explain what what this is. it's, it's um, It's a futile explanation of the problem of evil. That's what they're trying to do. We, we know this for a fact. Well, if you believe what we're told about history, okay, yeah. you can go back to Marcion in the second century. Some people say he's the first, quote-unquote, heretic. But uh, this is the view that he held. Okay? Yeah. He, he didn't accept the Old Testament, and he believed that the Old Testament God was inferior or evil, what do you want to call it. <clears throat> You can't really trust anything because yeah. you have forgeries or tampering with the text. We don't actually have any of his writings. So there you go. So they can just tell us yeah. whatever they want to tell us, just like they tell us about um, here's what the people believed uh, in the Inquisition. You know, we had to get rid of them, and here's their heretical beliefs. We don't know any of these things for certain. This is what the Roman Catholic Church told us. And actually, you're in the same situation here. You're going to trust the Roman Catholic Church to tell you the truth about the so-called first great heretic. I'm not going to trust them for nothing. So this no, is why you no, have to I'll, have revelation. So I, I asked one time, was Marcion a historical figure? They said yes. I don't know much beyond that, okay? <clears throat> they could have twisted his views. He could have been a legitimate Christian, and they said, well, we're, we're going to use him to roll out this um, Yahweh, it's the demi-urge, that kind of nonsense. You know, there's different views of it. But ultimately, that's a way to explain the, the so-called problem of evil. Um, yeah. But the Old Testament yeah. God isn't really holy like they say. He's actually evil or, or defective or whatever that. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, these people are saying, like, God murdered, like, innocent kids and wives from... Uh, no, he didn't murder different... anybody. Yeah. No, I know. That's just what they're saying. God, God is not, he's not accountable to anybody. See, they're basing that. That's an infantile belief system based on compassion for the creature that God has to do this, and he has to do this, and he has to do that, and that, and that. Because, you, know why, you know why God has to do that? Because from the perspective, from, from the stunted perspective of a human, this is what's ethical. God is not yeah. bound to any law. He can do anything he pleases at any time, but it does have to be consistent with his nature. But when we look at his actions, we go, well, this is not consistent with a holy being. 
That's why you run into trouble. See, that has to do with trust and faith. These people don't have that. What it does, it creates doubt in the mind, and you have to curb that. See? And it, well, you know what it yeah. is? It's, it's titillation. It's titillation. And you know something? You know, God may allow you to fall into that error, but if you fall in that long term, um, that's not good because um, yeah. God will steer his own people, you know, they're like sheep, they're blind, away from that. But that's not good when he allows you to be titillated by that and entertain those thoughts. Because you know why? Because God's not protecting you. That's pretty scary. The number one way yeah. that God protects you, he just keeps you away from all that garbage in the first place. So, Anyway, Matthew, yeah. are you back? I hope so. Okay, you sound better. Very good. That's interesting. So that had to do with talk shoes somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay, on to the next. He's got a list of questions, Matt. So what are you going to be doing is thinking of another question along the way? All right. But yeah, I mean, I've got a whole about, list of things oh. I think about, so I don't mind if someone chimes in or how it goes. By the way, when I go back to Mark Passio, um, if he's claiming to be what he used to be, uh, he should have that knowledge that um, that's absolutely ridiculous. Satanists believe in a personal Satan. So if he had this knowledge, and he's, none of these guys have any of this knowledge, by the way. Um, yeah. They don't have any high knowledge. That's one of the indicators that they're not telling you the truth. The only thing you can say is they're fearful to reveal it. You know what I mean? Because they never, they never do. When you listen to me talk about the Illuminati, it makes it sound like I have more knowledge than they do. But they're supposed to be former Illuminati. Now, I'm not saying he's former Illuminati because I don't, I don't know for sure. He's just a, a former Satanist. But um, the way that no, you would pull was, that out of the hat yeah. is that he, he was never involved with it, anything high. He was just involved with low-level Levian Satanism. So, uh, okay. Right? That, that, yeah, that was confirmed. Yeah, that's all he said. He, he, he never said he was Illuminati. He was only a priest in the, okay. in the Church of Satan that Antoine LeVay created. Hey, that's actually a good thing because it gives him credibility. Right. But I'm aware that there's issues with him. People brought it up. Okay, back to you, Matthew. Or, we got two Matts on the line, but uh, I'll call one Matt one Matthew, okay? Go ahead, Matthew. Well, try not to get confused. Uh, I was just going to dive into the <laughs> next question if you're ready. Okay. Uh, back to the Garden of Eden with the tree of knowledge. Since that's the tree that made fruit and fruit is made to eat, somebody was supposed to be eating this fruit. Otherwise, it just sat there being useless only to be temptation. Do you have any insight on uh, who actually would be eating the fruit or who would be allowed to eat it? Besides the end of Revelation where it talks about we're all allowed to partake of it, was there anyone before that time period or is it just waiting for that end point? Well, this would be something where I could easily make a, an error. Um, you brought up a good point. Um, it doesn't give us sufficient detail. But um, in Revelation 21, it does talk about the, the healing of the nations. Yes. And they do partake of this fruit, but it's not really clear what these trees are. And... Um, I'm trying to remember, did Adam and Eve eat from either one of the trees? What's, what's, what's your belief? Did they eat any of the fruit at all, whether it's good or bad? I think they 
probably ate fruit from all the other trees in the garden, and I just assumed they ate the same fruit and shared that very same one piece of fruit from the very same one tree. So the sin only happened with half of one fruit per person. Do you think if they were eating from one tree but not the other, only one tree was forbidden? Uh, I, they probably ate from every allowed tree, but then their curiosity got to them and only touched a forbidden tree once. Like, I, I don't think they... Uh, but then again, I don't have insight, so I'm not sure. I don't even know if there's more than one tree of knowledge or if there's a tree of wisdom. Since if it has fruit, it has seeds. So I don't know if there's even more than one of these trees. I'm opening up the e-sort here. And I'm uh, going to put the word tree in. you got to be careful not to error when you're doing live shows. Contrarious lives. <laughs> in error once again. <laughs> I think you'd like to challenge a little bit, Dave. Oh, yeah. Well, some of these questions you have, they, they are challenging. <clears throat> Yeah, there's two trees. The, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, I was just being overly careful about erring. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah they, they, um, it talks about every, they could eat from every tree uh, except for the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they were eating of the tree of life and I'm going to speculate that that had something to do with them. Um, it was sustaining their being. Now, I can't prove that, but that's what you would – it was used in a secondary – it was a secondary cause that, that God used to sustain that pristine state that they had, that physical level. Um, it was a gift from God, but there was actually a secondary cause behind it, and they needed to eat from that tree. I can't prove that. Um, I think that's probably true. So there was a primary tree that was good, and then they could eat from every other tree as well. There's only one tree that was forbidden. Does that answer your question? Or is there something else? Oh, I was wondering if, as well if, if there's like more than one tree of knowledge or more than one tree of life since they have seeds on them, I had to assume they multiplied in some way. But I was wondering if anyone was eating from the tree of knowledge as well. But since we don't have enough information, we have no way of knowing. I was just curious if you had any sort of revelation or even just a thought. Well, as far as the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I don't think that um, it could duplicate, even though that, that's the, all trees do that. I think it was probably protected from that happening there was just one primary tree and i think there was one primary tree of life too there's just two of them now um i said before that these two trees represented two entities in other words the tree was actually a functioning double metaphor Mm -hmm. and um i'm trying to remember what we were told but the um the tree of the knowledge of good and evil actually represented Satan. I can't remember what we were told. Um, it might have also represented his consort as well, but I can't, re- I can't remember. <clears throat> I'm not going to say for sure. 
But I, I will say that the two trees represented uh, an entity, but some people think that it might, you know, all these theories about it wasn't really a tree, it was something else, I reject all that. And one of the reasons to do that is because that's twisting scripture because um, the context is talking about, you're going to have to spiritualize all those other trees too in order to be consistent. I believe those were real trees. So that's going to tell you that the tree of life was a real tree. And if all those trees were genuine trees, that's going to tell me that the, uh, the tree um, of knowledge of good and evil, that was a tree too. Okay, but it can represent something. And that's what you don't hear. You don't, you don't hear that, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, what you commonly hear uh, for people who reject the literal meaning is it wasn't really a tree. It was this or that, and I reject that. But I do believe it's a double metaphor. But I don't think it's like really super important or anything. Um, now there's um, a scripture I've talked about before in Psalms. There is a uh, a primary uh, a female celestial entity. And, of course, she's spoken of in Scripture. Um, this doesn't have to do with Mormonism. I've talked about, um, I don't know if I want to run through this stuff. But in Scripture, it identifies that tree with her. She says, um, I am a tree of life. Actually says that. I mean, it's not really a good proof text to try to say that the, the good tree has to do with her, but it, it does imply that. Uh, the reason that Christians don't see this is because um, they refuse to acknowledge what Luke 3.38 says, that Adam is the son of God. It actually says that, okay? Luke 3.38. So by default, because Eve did not have an earthly father or mother, she's a daughter of God. And Christians, they cannot vocalize that. Okay? So now we have a heavenly father, we have a son of God, and we have a daughter. What is that going to tell you about the theoretical, theoretical existence of a heavenly mother? We're not talking about Mormonism here, okay? It's staring you right in the face. Now, this would explain why God is portrayed as a woman sometimes in Scripture, a feminine. Mm-hmm. There's a feminine side to him, see. That's referring to his consort. And I just and what we're talking about here is a heavenly Eve. As I've said before that in Proverbs eight what is it, thirty five? I'd have to look it up. It says um <clears throat> He's talking about a, a heavenly Adam. Even I know Christians, they'd be hearing this for the first time. I've talked about this quite a bit in the past. Um, but the creation has not been finished yet. That, that's the most important thing to understand. The Elohim are rejoicing. It calls them the sons of God in a parallel passage. In uh, Proverbs 38, 
And so it's, 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 important, it's critical to understand that it's a heavenly scene. And the word is Adam. There's no question about that. But it's a heavenly scene. So I've belabored this in the past. I don't want to do it now. There's a heavenly Adam right in your Bible. Okay? So once you understand that, it's um, perfectly natural to understand that there's a heavenly Eve. Now, I used to believe, um, I can't remember when I abandoned this, but it might have been as late as like 2006 or something like that. I used to think that all, um, that there was no female angels. So, see, so that's the way that Christians think. So they're going to filter that through their belief system, and they're going to say it doesn't, first of all, they're not going to acknowledge a heavenly atom. It doesn't matter what the text says. They will go with the authorities. Okay? They just can't act firmly and believe something like that. And, and must they, they have to have the authority approve it first, right? You can't, you can't do it. You know what I mean? Uh, but they're going to say it doesn't matter if that is a heavenly atom. Because you're assuming that he has a consort. Well, <clears throat> like I said, it refers to Adam as the son of God in Luke 3.38. That, is that a theory? No. So by default, Eve is the daughter of God for two reasons, because she's his consort and because like Adam, she had no have, uh, earthly father or mother. Now, Adam would be the son of God even if it didn't say he was. That's why rabbis believe that. And why is that? Well, did he have an earthly father or mother? Now, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to prove he had no father at all. You can't prove that with Scripture. Okay? It's just a simple concept. God was his father in a way that is not true for other people. It, it, you know, if you're a Christian, God is your father, okay? But this is in a unique way that's qualitatively different. Now, I have to run through that every time, you know, because um, Christians cannot process that. Now, you can see but they can't process it. And the things I just said, they have never heard these things before. And if they hear them for the first time, I don't see any evidence that they sit down and ponder the matter and incorporate it into their belief system. I never got any feedback. So they just kind of go, that's an interesting idea or whatever. The heck. It's kind of intriguing. Do I believe that? No, no, I don't. Why? Because um, I have only heard this from Dave. This is interesting because they claim to be text-driven, right? Focus on the text. But when the text clearly says something that contrasts with their religion, what do they go with? Do they go with the text? Says that Jesus, son of God. Oh, excuse me, Adam is son of God. <laughs> okay. They don't believe that because it's not compatible with their belief system. So... Um, they're not as text-driven as you would think. They tend to... Uh, they have this little term they like to throw around. You don't hear as much as you used to because um, less and less people are using the King James Bible. They'll call that strange doctrine, which is interesting because if it sounds strange to them, then that's what strange doctrine is. You know? It just sounds strange to them, so therefore it's strange doctrine. And because it's strange doctrine, it's false. 
accept their simplistic belief system. Now, what we're talking about, we've talked about it over and over again. The main thrust of this show is that um, the true reality out there is the opposite of what Christians believe. True reality is that there's a tremendous amount of lost knowledge. This is kind of funny. The reason is that Christians don't know that there's a lot of lost knowledge because there's a lot of lost knowledge. See, their ignorance is um, it's because of that reality. And Matthew 17, 11, it's not so much John the Baptist because he's already dead. Keep repeating that over and over again. <clears throat> they're, they're wrong about that. Now it says Elijah's going to come and restore everything. So it's prophesying a lot of things. One of them is a corrupt religion, but it's prophesying lost knowledge, and Christians do not, they don't believe in that. They actually hold to the opinion there's nothing significant that's been lost. God has revealed all things. So they, that's why I say it's the opposite of what the Bible says. That's why they're not looking for an Elijah figure. They think it's John the Baptist. And also, Dave... By the way, the the reason they're ignorant of that is because God has blinded them. That sounds strange to be hearing, you know, for the first time. All through the Bible, God blinds his own people. It's a judgment. Go ahead. No, no, like like before, a lot of Christians uh, are into Biblio Amancy. Uh, they, 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 or Billy idolatry. I'm sorry. They, 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 they uh, put the Bible. Yeah, they put the Bible up as God instead of understanding that God is just more than the Bible. But in their defense, they say without the Bible, we wouldn't have knowledge of God. That's what some of these people would say. But they, they, they take That's more not emphasis true, on the, the Bible. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I mean, they they lift, they, uh, uh, but some of the people they lift the Bible up as like God, and like everything has to be done by the Bible. If it's not, then it's not uh, authorized from God. Yeah. Now you can hold to that view, but still not be involved with what we call bibliolatry. Bibliolatry is when the text gets in between you and God, it actually affects your relationship. But when you have a person who in response to the question, what is the ultimate authority? When they say the Bible, that is the early indicator of bibliology because the ultimate authority is not the Bible. And when you hear that and it doesn't sound right to you, that's because of your, your programming. I go, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. And you've only heard the same thing over and over and over again. Who's the ultimate authority? Is it the Bible? No, it's God. That's simple. See how it gets in the way of God? Yeah. Um, God has stripped his own people of so many things. The primary thing that he has left for us is the Bible. So that's why we tend to overly focus on the Bible. See, before, there used to be all these external things that God had built, that God had created through various means. They had to do with historical theocracy, known as uh, Hebrew culture. God destroyed everything, but he left us one thing, the Bible. So because he left us one single thing, this is why Christians fall in this temptation to overly focus on it. I don't believe 
I, I know for a fact that um, that Hebrew culture did not do this. Okay, this is kind of a Protestant mindset, and the reason is is because um, not that many people had scriptures of any kind at all. They were too expensive because they had to be copied by hand. Very few people had them, so there's no way that what we call the Bible, which none of them had, by the way, could be as important as it is to Christians today. It wasn't as important. Okay. People need to be aware of that. Okay, Matthew, you can go on there. All right, I was just going to jump in the next one then. I asked you previously on a different show about any, uh, any uh, prophecies that wouldn't have any double fulfillment. But what about prophecies that have not been fulfilled in any way? Like everything in the future you expect to happen with Elijah coming, Exodus, and then uh, rounding up people, New Israel. Mm-hmm. Are there any major new prophecies that people might think are actually already fulfilled that we actually should be waiting for? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's a, um, a lot of prophecies that... Um, only have one fulfillment and they haven't been fulfilled at all. So I don't want you to think that, um, you know, all these prophecies have a double fulfillment. Typically they do not. Mm-hmm. That's actually the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. Typically they have okay. one fulfillment. Yeah. And that's a good thing because, um, you know, local churches, uh, pastors typically don't even talk about typology or, or double fulfillment at all. They just have a simplistic view that, um, all these passages have to do with the future, and they don't talk about the, the latter half of the first century when a lot of these passages do have some kind of double fulfillment. You know? What I mean by that is that they, um, they, they just leave history when Jesus ascended to heaven. That's what they check out. You know? Here we go again. We talk about bibliolatry. They're overly Christocentric. You can quickly prove that by the fact that Protestant Christians will rarely mention Michael the Archangel at all. That's true. You think about it. That's true. They don't even talk about him. They ignore him. He's the second most powerful being. Can we talk about him a little while? And they're going to be concerned that you're going to go, oh, you're getting into angel tree there, Dave. You said Michael three different times on a show. I think you're overly focused on him. You know, when I think about all this discussion about Michael the Archangel, Dave, I think it's leading you away from God. I think, Dave. They'll start making these simplistic judgments based on their simplistic belief system, but they don't talk, they literally ignore angels. In the Catholic Church, they overemphasize angels, de-emphasize the Son of God, and overemphasize Mary as a heavenly Mediatrix. Now, that's what they do, don't they? So, again, you know, the truth is in the middle somewhere, and that's what I'm saying. Obviously, this is a middle position. That's the work of the devil. Is to, the work of the devil is to drive you to extremes. It doesn't matter whether it's theology or conspiracy theories. When you hear the view over and over, everything is fake. Come on, extreme fakery. <laughs> and it sounds funny to people. That's the work of the devil, too. You know why? Because the scripture says he's the father of lies. It's not just talking about spiritual matters. It's talking about everything. Oh, yeah. The devil, he's, 
really involved with the conspiracy movement. And what does the devil do? He creates extreme positions and ignores the middle. <laughs> it does it all through history. The Illuminati carry out. You know what it is? It's the devil's propaganda. See that? And then you got some people who they're so simple-minded they don't think that there would be any theological propaganda from Satan. What? Theological propaganda. They're not even thinking. So anyway. <clears throat> right on to the next subject or whatever. Uh, at the end of everything, merging back to your higher self, your angel, are you going to lose your personality? Are they? Do they have their own personality and they act independently of you? Like, okay. what actually happens to yourself? I, I guess that's right to put it. Yeah, this is a really important subject. And this is what happens when a person actually uh, accepts this um, belief system as if it's real and they start applying it on a personal level. And they just start to become anxious that their personality will be absorbed into their, I guess you call it their angel or their Elohim. Okay. Now remember that Jesus said that at the resurrection, you will be equal with your angel. That's what it says in the English text, you know, word for word, depending on your translation. Not a little bit higher, not a little bit lower. And I've talked about um, this cultic aspect of Christianity, which we'll be talking about, I imagine, when we talk about um, the subject of uh, eunuchs. Okay? Because it actually relates to that. Um, there's so many things I could say about that. But anyway, um, I can only relay what we have been told. But basically, on a quote-unquote spiritual level, a human is the soul aspect of an angel. Um, you could um, ask the question, do angels have souls? Uh, the Bible is silent about that, okay? Uh, but they have told us that they did. I know this is hard to believe, but they have said that they are actually incomplete. And this actually has to do with um, things like the expression of love, quote-unquote, because love there is different than down here, and there's different types of love, which is expressed in the, uh, in the Greek. Uh, much well, but not in the English, like the word eros. Um, there's a motherly love. There's um, you know the love of God for the creation. But um, we are we're actually split off of them. How we want to uh, understand that. And this is what's going on there in Genesis 1.26, as well as uh, verse 27. And because Christians have lost that understanding, this is why when they're struggling to interpret uh, the book of Genesis, Genesis, especially chronologically, they run into problems. And so they, um, they draw the conclusion that there's actually two creation accounts. Okay? So they don't understand that has to do with the creation of the soul. Genesis 126. See, you're actually made 
in the image of your Elohim. I've talked about this an awful lot in the past. In fact, there was an old podcast. I think it was the first podcast in Room 3, which eventually became this podcast. It used to be called Room 3, and that was the very first podcast. And I went into great detail uh, explaining all that with Pastor Charles. I don't like repeating things too much unless it's just to you know, provide some proper context because a lot of times when people hear these things, they're hearing it for the first time, so they need some kind of context, you know. But I understand that, but I don't, I don't want to, you know, go and launch into a whole Bible study. But um, Christians have never heard this view of Genesis 126, and they are ignorant of the fact that it is talking about uh, the creation in some sense. Uh, I use that term uh, in a qualified sense because... It has to do with the soul. The soul is created, okay? The question is when. I'm saying it already existed before it was placed into man. But in Psalm 139, David is talking about his, his, um, his inward nature being formed, at the very least, in the bowels of the earth, however you understand that. But if you don't think it's the bowels of the earth, if you don't think it's some kind of uh, in Hades or some kind of subterranean era, that's not important. What's important, he's talking about the pre-existence of the soul. Well, Christians don't believe him. Well, it's clearly taught in the Bible. So what do they do? They spiritualize the text. Watch for this, because you'll see this over and over and over again. What we're talking about is this lost knowledge that disables the Christian from properly interpret, interpreting a passage because they don't have enough information. Okay, so the number one thing that they will do to compensate for that, because they don't understand it, in order to make sense out of it, they spiritualize the text. They say, well, you're not trying to say that this, he literally knit his inner being to, it, it, you know, in the balance of the earth in Hades, are you, Dave? I said, yeah. It doesn't make any sense to them because they don't believe in pre-existence of the soul. The Bible teaches pre-existence of the soul and also teaches pre-existence of the spirit. You can see that in Revelation 12, 7, where it says the spirit came from God who gave it. So it, originally it dwelt with God and then went from point A to point B and entered the body. They can't acknowledge that because they can't acknowledge any kind of pre-existence. And there's a simple reason why. Because in the mind of the layperson, he doesn't draw a proper distinction between pre-existence, whether it's of the soul or the spirit, and reincarnation, which he believes is a doctrine of the devil. But he doesn't understand there's an, actually an overlap. Okay, so if someone asks me, do you believe in reincarnation? I'm going to go, hmm. If I, ha- if I was forced to say yes or no, I would say no. Okay. Because that's strongly true. There's exceptions for that. But if I don't get a chance to express that, if I can only say, you know, yes or no, I'm going to say no. Because the exceptions are numerically rare. We talked about this earlier when I mentioned Cain. He's a person of high privilege. God is going to use him more than once in history. Basically, he comes back as the Antichrist, okay? If God wants to do that, he can do that because this little proof text that Christians 
throw around and mentioned over and over and over, Hebrews 9.27, it's a point on the man wants to die, that reveals their ignorance. Because they try to use that as proof text, not understanding that according to their own belief system, if they were more knowledgeable, you have people in the Bible who are dying more than once. They would believe that happens with um, Lazarus. Lazarus, they would believe he dies of old age, right? And then um, both Elijah and Elisha uh, resurrected a child. And we assume that they died as well. Of old age, eventually, you know what I mean? Well, there's an exception. But they, they, don't, they don't know this. So they're not proving anything. And when you actually have one single proof text that proves nothing, that's not good. Because, see, that will backfire on you. See, these people are not the ones who have an authoritative opinion on the subject. And what does it do? It illustrates exactly what I said, lost knowledge. God blinded his own people. Ask yourself this, this simple question. Do you see uh, God being highly motivated to communicate to his own people that Hebrews 9.27 is not a proof text? Is that what God's doing? No. This is where things get interesting because you can see that it's an error. You can also see that God is waiting, just like he's doing this with a lot of other doctrines, for that to be communicated in the future. The simplistic view that it would happen through Elijah. But there's going to be other people besides Elijah. We've talked about Micah chapter 5. There's actually 10 different people there and everyone agrees, including me. The only one that disagree would be preterists. It's, it's future. It hasn't been fulfilled. That's so much 10 different people. You know what I mean? Um, in the book of Jeremiah, it talks about all these Davidic princes. It talks about um, Levitical priests. They're actually lineages, okay? And uh, they will have superior knowledge, just like the, the priests of old. What a priest does he doesn't have um, a day job, okay? He has more time to study the scriptures. In the ancient world, you didn't have these people who worked out in the fields claiming, like you do on Facebook, to be equal in knowledge or superior. And they were also more humble. They knew they had a humble estimation of them. They, they, they didn't have this. First of all, they didn't have the scriptures. You see that? But now everybody's got a Bible. And they get on the internet, and they want to argue and put themselves up as a teacher. That's, and they want to teach you. They don't respect authority. Um, one of the primary sins we have in the church today that's being unspoken is um, not respecting your elders. It's right there in the Bible. Pastors, don't even talk about it. Because it's just part of this culture that you don't, you don't respect your elders. You don't see it modeled. So, um, you know, pastors are human beings, okay? If they don't hear something repeated, you have to repeat it. If it's not like a common opinion, they don't even think about it because they're born in this culture where elders are not respected. But in Hebrew culture, they were, and they were more learned. Okay, so a priest had more knowledge. He didn't work in the fields. He had an advantage because he had more time to study, and he had access to the manuscripts. 
But today, when everyone has a Bible. They want to think that their interpretation is um, just as good as yours or better. This is the problem. And it has to actually has to do with authority. And uh, that's a big subject, but uh, we actually don't have these authorities. God removed them all. See, we don't have an authoritative opinion from God. There's no person out there that say, well, it's this person, that person. I know people claim things. You know, they follow different personalities. And when you examine them, it's the same old thing. You know, you look at the belief system, it's hit and miss. It's just a mixture of um, truth and error. And this is true for everyone, okay? And this is not to say that this wasn't the case way back when. Are we supposed to believe that Jeremiah was infallible? And everything he believed? No, he had errors too. This is a simplistic view. Uh, we take this one passage out of Deuteronomy, and uh, I'm not going to go into it right now, but, um, <clears throat> you know, that... Um, not, we're not exactly sure how this works, but a prophet was never supposed to err. It doesn't give you the details. Uh, but, but Paul said that we, we prophesy in part. We have partial knowledge. We don't have the full view. And they didn't have the full view either. So I don't want to go into that. That's a different subject. But you can see that Christians are in error because if they actually follow consistently with what they believe, then they would kill these people. They said, well, this guy's a false prophet because he... See, these people are so simple-minded. They can't even um, they can't even distinguish between a prediction and a prophecy. They want to pounce on people. They want to judge people. I don't know what this. Some of these people are saying we're not supposed to judge. They're the same people to judge. Okay. A prediction is not a prophecy. Anybody can make a prediction. If you fail, you know it, it may be a significant error. But it's not necessarily a spiritual thing. I mean, any kind of error is not good, but the person was possibly sincere. But you want to call it a prophecy so you can condemn him according to the book of Deuteronomy. This is foolishness. But if you're going to do that, be consistent and go out and kill him. According to Scripture, that's what you believe. Do they ever do that? No. So that just shows you right there. They don't know what they're talking about. I hold to the view that um, there's lost knowledge. We don't know the absolute precise understanding of that passage because all prophets error. That doesn't sound right when you say that. Of course, they're, look it, they're under the fall. And uh, one of the curses of the fall is ignorance. Every man is under that curse. And so what they're going to say, yes, but these were inspired prophets, so God kept them from erring. Well, the Bible itself doesn't even teach that. Um, I can just give you a passage here to look at. In First Peter 1, verse 10. Now, these are inspired prophets, okay? It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, and this is something prophetic that hadn't happened yet in their day, they were based this on the scriptures probably mostly. They spoke of the grace that was to come, and it came to you. They searched intently. They searched intently. They were trying to find out what the truth was. They searched intently and with the greatest care, they're trying not to error, trying to find out the time which is concealed by God and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them 
was, and this is a very important word in English, was pointing. He wasn't being specific. He was pointing generally. When he predicted, I'd have to look that up to see if it's an impersonal pronoun. I'm not going to worry about it right now. <clears throat> a lot of the times it's an impersonal pronoun, which would be the word it, and it's translated as a he. So they're referring to the Holy Spirit when they say he. Trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted. Who predicted? The Holy Spirit. He was speaking in generalities, no, not the details, you see. When he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Now, I'm not going to make this complicated, and you see they had impartial knowledge. If you can understand that, then you can understand they had impartial revelation. It wasn't perfect. Okay, so who's the authority that comes out and says, these men need to be put to death. They're in error. He's a prophet. Now, what if they were to um, speculate? Okay. About the details. According to the scripture, they would be in error. And why is that true? They didn't have the details because this scripture says that they hadn't been revealed yet. They didn't know the specifics. Okay, so who's the authority that wants to kill these people? Because you said so. You speculated about the future. The coming of Messiah. And you're in error, according to my Bible. Let's put them to death. You know what I mean? You see the problem with this? <laughs> you know, and, and when Paul says... Um, <clears throat> We prophesy in part. That, that can mean different things. So, again, who's the authority that says, well, you know, this is prophesying in part, oh, but this is not. This doesn't apply. You better be right. Now, see, these authorities that make these decisions, we don't have them. Okay? We don't have people speaking with that degree of authority. What we used to, and the Christians just... Um, you sweep all this aside, but the simple childlike belief that we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit teaches us all things. And they actually have a proof text for that in 1 John, talking about the elect in the first century. I don't want to go on that, I've already gone on it before. Um, you know, when it says that we know all things because the Spirit teaches us, stop and think for a moment and use your mind. Do Christians know everything? Because that's what it says. Is that what? Is that true? That's what the scripture says. It says, and we don't need a teacher, right? Doesn't it say that? Look at that passage. Too. Everybody knows the passage I'm talking about. We already know everything, so we don't need a teacher. That is one of the most dangerous passages in the New Testament that, that Christians will manipulate. They don't even understand what it's talking about. What it's talking about is the essentials of the faith. The essentials of the faith. Every Christian that is elect, it's kind of like a test. You have to pass it 100%. It only takes one heresy to send you to hell. Is Jehovah's Witness? You deny the resurrection of the flesh? doesn't matter what else you believe. You're going to go to hell. And Christians, Jehovah's Witness say, I don't believe in hell. Because they're annihilationists, okay? <laughs> so they're not worried about going to hell. I say, well, if I get it wrong, I'll be... Um, 
I'll be destroyed. That's what they teach. <laughs> their spirit and their soul will be destroyed. That's why they call the annihilationists. They don't have to go to hell. So they don't have the same fear of hell that, that Christians do. And actually, Christians don't have much of a fear of hell either because Christians are delusional. You prove it right now. <clears throat> Christians always believe they're going to go to heaven. First of all, you're not going to heaven. I've come up with before. If you just believe what Jesus said, he said the meek will inherit the earth. And then we interpret that scripture through our faulty belief system. It's called dispensationalism. And goes, oh, that's only for the Jews. Okay, I didn't want to get into that mess. What you have is error after error after error. You have a compendium of errors that makes up their belief system. And should we be surprised? If, if Jesus is prophesying anything, he's saying there's going to be a faulty belief system in the future. Well, guess what? That's the belief system of Christians, and there's nothing better. You can't sidestep God. God is the one that reveals things, you know, one truth um, after another. If God doesn't reveal it, man sits in darkness. Most Christians don't even know that. They don't think that they need to rely on God to reveal a truth. They think that they can discover the truth on their own uh, because they don't understand that God is sovereign and all truth comes from him as an ultimate source. I mean, it, it's so bad. I mean, they don't even have basic Bible teaching, so you don't need to talk about that too much. <clears throat> you can see that by interacting with them and asking them simple, basic questions. I said, well, you don't even know the basics. Okay. Let's move on here, Matthew. All right. Unless you got it. Unless you got a question. Well, we'll let Matthew go first since he already had these questions. So, But let me know, Matt, if you have another question. Okay, go ahead. Okay, uh, I was going to ask you about uh, gen- generational sin and how that works. Like, if the father sins, he doesn't repent, then, then has a child, and then the father decides to repent, does the child have to repent as well? Or will the father's repenting carry on for the child? Let's say a child's like 15 years old before the uh, repenting happens. <laughs> That's a difficult subject, especially for a modern mind, person or otherwise. Because um, in the Hebrew religion and also in the New Testament, you have a concept called uh, group salvation. Okay, And we don't even know the details. But the Bible tells us that um, the entire household was saved if the patriarch was baptized, it doesn't tell you that the other people are not being baptized. It doesn't say whether they're baptized. And I would assume that they would be. If they're children, no. We don't believe in infant baptism. But the wife, okay? Good example of this kind of thing. Where in the Old Testament does it tell you um, how a female gets saved? Does it tell you that anywhere? you got problems right away with the word saved. Now, it does talk about being saved, but it talks about different types of salvation. It could be physical, it could be spiritual. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it tell you how a female gets saved. <clears throat> okay? When the male is circumcised, the wife is spiritually protected as well. She enters into the covenant through her husband. Right there, that's a form of group salvation. Um, I wanted to say something else about the New Test or the Old Testament. I'm trying to remember. Um, why don't you ask me that question again? 
Don't expand on it. Don't make it more complex. Maybe it'll trigger you. Sure. The uh, generational sin saying that the father has a oh, son yeah. but doesn't repent of the original sin till later. Mm-hmm. By the way, it says in the book of Acts, it says he and his household will be saved. But it's only to my one person being baptized. But I'm assuming the wife is going to be baptized. But what if she doesn't get baptized? We actually don't know. If you look at the surface of things, it appears that she's saved anyway, which doesn't make any sense. I'm, this is getting too complicated because it has to do with um, reprobates who temporarily come under the covenant. That would explain the wife. She's temporarily saved. The Bible speaks about temporal salvation, not full and final. Obviously, you're going to have to do something at your end at some point along the line. Unlike what Southern Baptists teach, that you, theoretically, you don't, you don't have to do anything. You just say this little prayer, and uh, that's, that's good enough for all, all eternity. Okay, um, now, the Bible talks about another, this is a complex subject, okay. It talks about another concept that's very difficult uh, pretty much for any human mind to comprehend. And um, I can make a big thing out of this because this has to do with uh, this false view that God saves people uh, because he's compassionate. We completely missed it. The reason that, not only is the primary reason that God saves someone is to glorify himself, but that, that's true for everything else. Because that's the highest achievable good. Christians don't get good Bible teaching. They, typically, they won't even hear this unless they're Calvinists. Okay, so in Scripture, you have the concept of other people being punished for other people's sins. I'll talk about two different types. You have reprobate bloodlines. You have the Edomites. Christians don't like to talk about this, but the entire bloodline is cursed. Now, first of all, all bloodlines are cursed, including the the line of Adam. So let's get past that, because when you hear that for the first time, God would never curse a bloodline. Are you kidding me? All men are cursed. Where are you then? Come on, Genesis 3. So they're not even thinking there. Okay, but it's talking, let's take, for example, um, not Ham himself, you know, the son of Noah, but his entire bloodline was punished for his sin. Now, does this make any sense whatsoever to a human being? This is very important because it tells you that the punishment of God does not have, ultimately, does not have to do with any kind of human action. You're going, what? No. It has to do with God wanting to illustrate something, and we are the little pawns down here that God works through to glorify himself. We have to suffer. Every single one of us has to suffer so that God can illustrate certain things that he wants to illustrate so he can properly glorify himself. Now, you never hear anybody talk about that kind of thing. Stop and think. <clears throat> what else could be going on? Okay? If it's based on human action alone, in other words, the, the creature sins and then God punishes it, right? Well, that makes perfect sense. Okay? It's got to be something beyond that because it's clearly not based on that. You'll see scriptures where it talks about God punishing uh, certain generations. Now, it's limited because of the sins of the ancestors. You're familiar, you've heard, you're familiar with those passages, right? <clears throat> yes. See, that doesn't make any sense. 
Well, of course, it doesn't make any sense if, um, if the punishment relates to the sin, you know, the action, because this is not talking about that. So how can God be just? Well, see, that's why I said he can do whatever he wants to do. Proverbs 16, 4, he's not limited by some kind of ethical code as long as it's consistent with his nature. He, he doesn't owe anybody anything, and that's, that's really important. He doesn't owe you anything. He can do whatever he wants. Proverbs 16, 4 says he made everything for himself. Divine selfishness, okay? But it's not selfishness like a human selfishness. Everything belongs to God. We're going to find out in the future, big wake-up call, when the Son of God shows up, everything is his. And it was given to him by the Father. This is the sense where everyone is his servant. And he actually owns you as a sovereign on earth. And this will be made known at some point. And this concept is totally foreign to a modern mind. It's all based on the individual, me, me, me. No. See, everyone is under authority. And um, that's why they don't like talking about hierarchy, Illuminati propaganda. That will help to clarify authority. They, they've taken away the authority. They've taken away the hierarchy. And people are stumbling around in the darkness trying to figure out what's going on, assuming that they're not watching television too much, because that's usually the problem. Okay, so um, there's a really important passage in the book of Jeremiah. The problem is it's not easy to interpret. Uh, but at the res- um, I'll just keep it simple. There's a resurrection at some point in the future. I mean, we all believe in this. And at that time, um, a child will not inherit the Adamic nature. That will come to an end, even though there's still procreation. In Jeremiah 31, and this is very important because this is the number one passage in the Bible that talks about the new covenant. And you can see there very clearly the new covenant has to do with the future. It has to do with the physical restoration of Israel. So in Jeremiah 31, 30, uh, let's go back to 29. It says, in those days, people will no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, see, this is difficult to interpret. It's important to understand when it says the children's teeth are set on edge, that's, that's a negative thing. Let's understand. That's not a positive thing, okay? It's unfortunate that it's stated this way, but it, what it's trying to tell you is that um, <clears throat> the children uh, suffer consequences because of the actions of the father, okay? And he's saying this is not going to happen anymore. Now, here's a clue about what I was talking about. It says, instead, in verse 30, everyone will die for his own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. Now we can begin to understand, oh, what, see what that meant? It wasn't expressed very well to our culture. Um, but it's be, here's the thing. Let's, let's keep it simple. The Bible teaches that God can punish you for someone else's sin. So let's stop and think about this. Is that what the Bible teaches? Absolutely. Look at Adam. Okay, now this is complex because, see, Adam, he was actually a priest 
even though it never specifically says that in Scripture. The reason is, is because he was the representative head, the corporate head, that's the proper theological term, that represented all humanity. And there's other lesser forms of this in Scripture. Now, I don't want to go that right now. This is why we all suffer for the sin of Adam. You see that? So the Bible does teach this complex, difficult to understand, at least according to a human ethic concept, that God can punish you for the sin of someone else. Now, let me keep it simple. You don't need someone else. God can punish you whenever he feels like it. Now, let me explain why. God can do that if he wants to achieve a higher good of manifesting his judgments, his wrath, through a human vessel. Now, this is exactly what the Bible teaches. So I'll go to Romans um, chapter 9. You understand here that everyone is worthy of punishment. Okay, however you understand that. So God can punish you anytime he wants to. I'm not going to go back to the quote-unquote beginning. But we'll just go with the, the, the situation that we have today, okay? It's interesting that Paul says this because people don't think about this. He's speaking about a hypothetical. He says, what if, what if God, because he's stating the truth. It's called double predestination. What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, notice this has nothing to do with human compassion. God wants to do something. And what does he want to do? He wants to show his wrath and make his power known. Is he talking about compassion for the creature? No. There's a higher priority. Okay? See, this is where we come down here. We come down here to suffer so we can illustrate something for God to be glorified. That, that, that's the priority. So what if God... This is going back to the beginning, by the way, because predestination. What is God choosing to show his wrath and make his power known? That's his priority. Bore with great patience the objects of his wrath. These are the reprobate, prepared for destruction. That's a question mark, by the way. It says, what if he did this? It's going to back up exactly what I said. What if, why did he do this? It has nothing to do with the creature. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known in the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? He wanted to make his glory known. He wanted to reveal his glory. Now, it's a little bit complicated because God... This is typically a long-range plan because he, men are ignorant. Most Christians don't even believe this, okay? So it's something that God has to reveal. People are ignorant right now. They don't understand it. That eventually it will be revealed, and then God will be glorified. So God's not being glorified now because of the ignorance of man. At the judgment seat, everything will be made known. There will be clarity, and people will be ashamed. And they'll understand that what God was doing because um, God will enlighten their mind. And they'll get convicted. Okay? 
Every man is judged, by the way. Uh, when you go to a local church, they, they, don't, they don't teach that. Uh, There's something very clear in the Bible. You know, Jesus said that every man will give an account for, you know, his own words, things like that. It won't be a condemnatory judgment. This is the careful middle position. Every man is judged. But the elect, the righteous, the righteousness comes from God, by the way, they're not condemned. Okay? But that doesn't mean they're not going to be judged or held accountable. The judgment, by the way, has to do with their merit. Where are they going to be in their positioning and hierarchy? It all has to do with your good works. But the scripture says in a number of places, for instance, like Ephesians chapter 2, that your good works are a gift from God. You don't hear that. That just shows you how ignorant people are, the basic principles of Protestant Reformation, because all the Protestant Reformers taught that. That everything that you have is a gift from God. You see, see we, we're born to this secular humanist culture that emphasizes the ability of man. They have to give it that propaganda in order to push evolution, okay, that we can lift ourselves up by our bootstraps. We don't need God, right? Karl Marx, oh, we can do it on our own. In fact, we can have, if there's a God out there, we can do better than him. But this is all foolishness. But people don't realize how much they're affected by this culture because every man is a product of their culture. They're influenced by their culture. You can see that by comparing different cultures, you know, Japanese, Muslim, American, and see how distinctive they are. And then look at the people that are born into these cultures. It doesn't matter whether they're Christian or not. They practice all these different things, and you go, where did this happen? What came from the culture? You know, the foods that they eat or don't eat. You see that? Anyway. Now, um, so I kind of laid a foundation for that. What I'm emphasizing there, it doesn't have to do, ultimately, Matt, it doesn't have to do with human action. It has to do with God wanting to glorify himself. And the way that he does that is very mysterious. It has to do with first causes and secondary causes. Um, you know, the primary purpose of, um, of God in saving man is it doesn't have to do with um, compassion for the creature. And is there anything else you, I kind of laid a, a ground, see, these are kind of things that you need to understand foundationally so you can even begin to respond to that question. So why don't you ask me that question one more time, let me see if I need to say anything else about that. <clears throat> Uh, this is about generational sin, about the uh, father uh, having his son inherited sins. At what point are they inherited? And what about the son moves out? You know, are they inherited then? Oh, they're inherited through birth. Uh, they're inherited through birth. You born into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you inherit through birth. Um, the good news is, there are certain types of generational curses that are relatively easy to, to, to deal with if you're already a Christian. The hard part is becoming a Christian. Salvation is both easy and actually the most difficult thing because it's impossible to get saved unless God saves you. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. God has to initiate that. So if God doesn't help you, you're stuck. Okay. But uh, generational curses have to do, it could be a single person in your family in the past, like your grandfather that can skip a generation, that uh, he may have made a Freemasonic oath 
and I, I, I don't want anyone to believe that if you, you know, if you have somebody in your family that made a Freemasonic oath, the whole family's cursed. It varies from family to family. Actually, don't know on a percentage basis where that would apply most of the time, like over fifty percent or not. I actually don't know. But um, those curses are relatively easy to break. All you got to do is be sincere, ask God to do it, and He will answer that prayer. Unless you've got some kind of sin in your life that needs to be dealt with, and you deal with the sin, then God will answer the prayer. You know, it's an impediment to God answering your prayer. You know I mean? So. Um, The main thing is, is that God can do whatever he wants whenever he wants to, as long as it's consistent with his nature. So when he does these things, he does it to illustrate something. The focus is actually on God, not on the creature. But that's when you would inherit. Okay, now there's, okay, just a second here. I just realized um, you've already been born. Let's put you above the theoretical age of accountability. So you're, let's, let's say, well, you could be 11 years old or you could be 20. Let's say 22. And your father is an adult and he becomes a Freemason, takes this oath. The answer is, I don't know. If you're under the headship of your father, by the way, the Bible teaches you don't ever get under the headship of your father. That's an unproven, uh, unbiblical fallacy that you become an adult at 18. It's not found in the Bible anymore. Your father has responsibility to care for you till the day he dies. We don't think this way. We think you become this independent person that functions differently than your father, and Christians would actually appeal to a passage. I think it's in um, no, Genesis 2 or 3, where it talks about marriage for the first time. You know, women will leave their parents and bond with the man, you know, that kind of thing, you know. Um, if you're under the headship of your father, well, you're clearly not an adult. Um, it's possible that you could come under that curse. I'm not going to say that can't happen. I'm saying there's a good chance you can't. See, we actually don't know these things. But I would hold to the opinion that, yeah, yeah, you can, you can become cursed. You don't have to be born into it. In other words, if you had um, a child that was 11, and he's not under it, that, that's, that's just say that that's possibly true, then you're going to say that this, this child that hasn't been born yet, he's going to be cursed because um, if he hasn't been born yet. And when he comes into the situation after the fact, I would, I would go against that. So the child that's being born, he's going to be born into a curse if, if God's going to apply that curse. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't that apply to the 11-year-old, even though he's already been born? So I would go with that. If it has to do with headship, uh, the, the patriarch. See, he's way more important than Christians think. By the way, Christians don't think patriarchally. They have a modernist mindset. That's, that's a big subject right there. The patriarch, he's been dwindled way, way, way down. Here's the belief of most Christians today. Maybe I'm wrong about this. I'm not sure about this one. I'm not sure if there's any way to know. I mean, all you can do is take a poll. 
I, these Christians they call conservative, I think they're liberal. So there's different degrees of liberalism. Almost everyone is a liberal today. You know, they call you conservative. But uh, I think they've fallen for the fallacy that, um, yeah. Well, they have fallen for the fallacy that men are qualitatively equal to women. They actually believe that. But we're not talking about that. We're, call, we're talking about quantitative difference. It has to do with authority, not nature. And I think they would struggle with that, too. I think that there, a lot of these young people are, because they're not getting proper biblical teaching, they're coming into um, a marriage thinking that the, man, the male and the female are equal contributors as far as decision-making. That will sink you. That will sink a marriage. Because, see, somebody has to make a decision. You can't have two people with equal authority. When does this ever work through history? Any one single time. It's not in the Bible anymore. But this is what they're trying to do. You know, the, the woman has equal input. Input. They make these decisions together. Well, you do make these decisions together, and the wife is supposed to have input, but the husband has the authority to make the final decision. You'll find all this, by the way, both the qualitative and quantitative distinction between a male and a female in 1 Corinthians 11. You literally have to deny Scripture. The reason that it doesn't talk about this over and over again because everybody knew this. Everybody knew this. So in our day, we look at the ancient mind, the medieval mind, as persecuting women. You know why? Nobody held to this view. <laughs> you know, maybe on the Isle of Lesbos or something, you know what I mean? And so we interpret that as demeaning women because we say they believe that women were inferior, and to us that is negative. You see that? So we believe that women were oppressed, actually to my Christians now, and um, – you know, this so-called liberation of women, this has been a good thing, you know what I mean? Because women used to be oppressed. We've heard this over and over. What we don't understand, God established order and he established hierarchy. Women did not have the, the same authority as a man. You will not find this anywhere in the Bible. And there's always historical exceptions. I don't want to go into that. That has to do with Miriam, who was third in rank in Israel, according to the book of... Uh, Micah, that the God led Israel yeah. through Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And you're going, what? Then also you see Deborah. She was a judge. And I've explained this before. I'm going at it right now. Those are historical exceptions. They don't prove anything. God can do whatever he wants to do. If he wants to uh, shame these men who weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing because all the judges were corrupt, that's what the Bible teaches if he wants to raise up a woman to shame them, then he can go ahead and do that. Does that prove that um, men and women are equal? No. It prove anything. There's all kinds of historical exceptions in the Bible. You have to look at the context to see if there's an exception. I call that a sovereign exception. For instance, what we talked about earlier. Uh, there's exceptions to um, Hebrews 9.27. God did... Um, Uh, allow uh, some humans to die more than once, <laughs> okay? That's an exception. Anything else about that? Uh, I'm probably going to last another hour here, but okay. back to generational uh, sins. Uh, the sin of Adam... I'll remind uh, everybody okay. that everybody, everybody is under a curse without an exception. No matter, no matter how holy you are before God, you're under a corporate judgment. Actually, has to do with all humanity. 
So we're all under a curse. You won't hear this about this in church. They don't talk about curses. They only talk about blessings. But we're all under a curse, and that's why everything's all messed up. Go ahead. The uh, sin of Adam eating the fruit, do we need to repent of that, or is the curse itself serving in place of going to hell? Is that being cursed, such as being blind, actually reducing the hell sentence if you don't repent of the sin? Repenting for Adam's sin? Yes, or the man being born blind was his father's sin or his own. Is that in itself a punishment and replacement or at least reducing of going to hell? Well, you got some good questions there. Man, oh, man. I I like to try. See, the Christian brain, they cannot process that passage that you just mentioned there in John. doesn't make any sense. You know why it doesn't make any sense? It's talking about pre-existent sin, but it doesn't explain anything. But we can assume that the people had knowledge of that, and that's why it doesn't explain it, because they, they understood. Or, you know, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to understand what he's saying, but some people did. By the way, there was times when nobody understood what Jesus was talking about. Um, remember what passage that's in? Is, is it John? Um, I'd have to look it up right here. Let's see. I think it's John 6, but I'll look it up. Um, I didn't think it was there. It's relatively early. Anyway, it says, uh, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And this is actually going to back up what I've been saying. Jesus said, neither. This happened in order that God would be glorified. You see that? You know what he's teaching? Set aside the pre-existent stuff. He's teaching it has nothing to do with the action of man. He's teaching something that few minds can comprehend, Christian or otherwise. This man was born blind in order for God to be glorified. Now, what I've been saying, I've been saying that God is glorified through human suffering because it's human suffering that enables God to illustrate his divine attributes. You know, for instance, like forgiveness, patience, uh, compassion, I go right down the list. You can see quite quickly that because the fall had not occurred, that Adam had no experiential knowledge of these things. It wasn't necessary to reveal them in a pristine state where there was no sin. You see that? But God wanted to illustrate his attributes so he could be properly glorified. And I believe that he does this cyclically down through eternity. But once again, even though it's a relatively short period, he will create an inferior creation. It is inferior. Okay? And Christians say, oh, they respond negatively to that. I've come about all these things before. The creation, everything that God does is perfect, okay? When God creates an inferior realm or inferior creation, it's a perfect act for various reasons, but God achieves exactly what he wanted. 
it's impossible to prove that the earth is a perfect state because it's qualitatively inferior to heaven. So that wasn't hard at all. It's inferior creation. Now, when we say creation, we can um, include all creation or we can distinguish between the upper and the lower. That's what I'm doing right now. Earth is inferior to heaven. Who's going to deny that? I mean, they're not on the same level. So God created inferior creation. Why is it so hard? Because simple-minded Christians are thinking that, well, you're trying to say that God did something inferior. You see that? I said all his actions are perfect and consistent with his nature. But that's what he wanted. It's a realm that has a contrast between light and darkness, right? Between good and evil. It's that tension. That's what God wants because he wants a cosmic drama. You can't have drama without having the opposites. You see that? God needs that tension. He needs those opposites so he can illustrate something. Christians don't understand this. The fundamental error, like I said before, run down the line, they believe that God's doing everything to make them happy because he's compassionate for humans. And that's false. This is what happens when you use human reasoning uh, to interpret um, <clears throat> the actions of God. Okay? Now, the main problem is with Christians, they haven't even heard. So that's what they do. They repeat what they have heard. And what they've heard is um, an inferior opinion. They feel comfortable with it because they hear it over and over again, and they never hear anything else. And Christians, by the way, they don't get out the scriptures and start trying to refute this. They're just skeptical. They go, hmm, hmm. They must be doing that an awful lot if they listen to this. Almost everything I'm talking about is things that they have not heard. I've, I've said this before in previous shows. You know, I mean, come out the Bible, you can tell they haven't even heard these things. Okay, so it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. Ultimately, <clears throat> or at least initially, you put it that way. And the important thing is that these opinions, which they've never heard, should be considered. They can draw a more proper conclusion, and perhaps they can be even more um, firm in their present conclusions. But first of all, they have to allow their opinions to be tested with an alternative opinion. No. Typically, they just hear the same old thing within the context of denominational thinking. Okay? Because one denomination will say this. I'm talking about things that none of these denominations talk about. How many of these denominations teach um, emanation or pre-existence of the soul? You don't, even, you don't hear anything. Or how about uh, that um, the creation is not eternal? Have you ever heard that one before? No. They haven't even heard about the cyclical nature of, um, of time and, um, and history. Everything is cyclical. They just assume that it, oh, it's somehow, you know, linear history. Well, it's not either or. It's both cyclical and linear. Uh, time and history has it. it it has a cyclical nature to it, but it also has a linear nature. I think it's primarily cyclical. But they have never even heard that the creation comes to an end. And this is the good news. Then we go back to something superior, which is where we were before. A realm of reality is superior to heaven. Heaven is inferior. It's created. 
Okay. There's no there's nothing ultimately timeless about it. It talks about time in the beginning of Revelation eight, about a half hour. Okay. This is a timeless eternal state. It's always there, it's at our eternal abode. And God permitted Satan to cover up that our spirits are eternal. Instead, try to convince us that we came from a primordial soup, from a cosmic big bang, and uh, we descended from the apes. This is the opposite. And now we can see the fruit of that belief system. You see people acting out in accordance with their belief system. They just believe that they're animals, a sexual animal. They don't have to be accountable to anybody except for the local authorities. And there actually is no law. It's the, the law of one, your law. And the law is don't get caught. Don't get caught. Yeah, because look at the confusion. If you're going to go by a local authority, the local authorities vary from culture to culture. So what is the truth? You know, we come on absolute truth, the pure ethic. You can't even appeal anything because there's no authority. The authorities can flip each other. Well, in Hebrew culture, they had Moses. He laid down the law, and then you had these inspired prophets that supported the law of Moses historically. They defended it. Those authorities are gone. Well, what we have is confusion, and the confusion is a punishment from God. Christians don't like talking about punishment. They want to talk about the wicked being punished. They don't want to talk about them being punished. <clears throat> anyway. Go ahead. Uh, Matt, are you going to be around longer? Maybe you can be around when he leaves. And around at the end of these shows, I don't know. Okay, go ahead, Matthew. Right. It's like 2.30 my time. I'm going to hang in there, but probably next <laughs> yeah. 30, yeah. 40 minutes. Yeah. Uh, what I wanted to ask about was the Ark of the Covenant. I don't mm-hmm. actually understand what that is or what it's for. The Bible describes it as a uh, kind of gold box that you carry around to select times, and it almost sounded like it was for battle. Like it gave you a plus five bonus to battle uh, achievement. I just, just don't understand what was it for, will there be another one, what exactly is it? Okay, and the reason we don't understand these things is because Scripture doesn't tell us. You run this problem over and over and over again. Uh, Christians really, really stumble over the concept as above, so below. Which Jesus actually talked about in the, the ideal form of prayer, concise prayer. Um, he said, on earth as it is in heaven. And the rabbis actually have a similar saying to that. Now, the reason this is important is because um, Satan tried to cover up. First of all, you don't have the details in the Bible about heaven at all. They're sparse. If you knew one thing, that earth was a copy of heaven, you could um, at least theorize a lot about a lot more things. But they took that away. Okay. So this is why Moses was told to be very careful how these uh, uh, these objects that have to do with the tabernacle, 
were constructed because they were actually copies of things that were in heaven. And sure enough, you actually see that in Revelation 11. Um, a lot of Christians don't realize this. They don't, it's just a read on by, but it's talking about a heavenly Ark of the Covenant. And there's a heavenly temple. And the heavenly Ark is in the heavenly temple, and it talks about the, uh, the heavenly tabernacle uh, in the book of Hebrews. Everyone wants to know where the ark went. Um, God told us, but we don't, we don't receive it. Okay? Because our religion is not compatible with the Apocrypha. That's too bad because the so-called Apocrypha was in the Septuagint, which according to scholars is the quote-unquote Bible of the Apostles. That's the Bible of the Apostles. And uh, if you go by the standard chronology, nothing had changed for 1,500 years. I don't go by the standard chronology. I think history is shorter. And so the Apocrypha was in the original King James Version. So this view, uh, you know, the Apocrypha is not revelation from God or it's not inspired on the same level. That's a modernist Protestant view. It's not, you can't even claim it's a Protestant view. Look, did John Calvin or Martin Luther have a big problems with the Apocrypha? No. Where did this come from? What came later? So it's not, I know it sounds odd to say that it's not a Protestant view. You're going to talk Protestantism, you have to go back to what was originally established. You could say neo-Protestantism or liberal Protestantism. Anyway, um, it talks about prayers for the dead, and I think it's Second Maccabees, and some other things that are not compatible. This is just like the church fathers rejecting the Book of Enoch because um, it talks about them coming down and having uh, sex with um, human women. Okay, If you don't believe that, because the Book of Enoch talks about this in detail, you're going to reject the Book of Enoch. See, this is the, what have I said before? Every man interprets reality or, or interprets yeah through their belief system well that's going to happen but every belief system is faulty so that means a good measure of the time their conclusions will be faulty because their belief system is faulty but everybody does this there's, there's nothing else you can do you can't sidestep your belief system okay um I want to throw in uh, a little something. I'm sure I've mentioned this along the way, but um, we have reasons to believe that the so-called sarcophagus in the Great Pyramid was the same dimensions as the Ark of the Covenant. And the reason I bring that up is because this just raises the electrical, electromagnetic theory of the Ark of the Covenant. And I did run a check on that sometime. I wish check was here. Sometimes he remembers the specifics more than I do because the question is being run through him. He gets the answer. And like I said before, the reason I do that through a second party is so I'm totally removed from the outcome. All I do is create the question. I have nothing to do with the outcome. Okay? And a lot of these questions, like we were asking uh, about, you know, Unix, he didn't really know anything. <laughs> Where's all this information coming from, you know? 
That just happened today, by the way. <laughs> he got it. No. He got the data dump, by the way. <clears throat> Oh, wow. I have it. Rec- I have it recorded. I have to actually listen back because I can't even remember it all, and I have to ponder what is being said. It's clearly coming from a superior mind. And you could claim it's voice of skull technology. That's fine. It's not coming from his mind because he doesn't know these things. So any fool out there that says we're just dreaming this stuff up, well, we, yeah, we're liars, and we did a lot of preparation in order to fool people, okay, or make the big money. It's all about the big money around here, right? Better believe it. So yeah, it's um, this would explain. I hold to the theory that uh, when a man touched the Ark of the Covenant, God killed him. It's clear about that. But I think that He did that through electrical force. I can't prove that. That's my theory. But I do believe that it had electrical properties. It has to do with um, geometric construction. Christians would struggle with that. Um, everything is a receptor of cosmic energy, which is 100% electrical. So certain shapes are a more conducive antenna. What I'm basically saying there is everything is an antenna, but some things are a better antenna than other things. You don't want to have a flat roof on your house. That's why people have a lot of flat roofs. Uh, You want to have a curved surface. The, the feminine energy, the yin energy, the lunar energy, it's all the same because everything is comprised of opposites. God made everything comprised of opposites. And they covered that up too. You got people that are so confused today. They've lost track of the basic truth about men and women that they're polar opposites. And everything has to do with magnetism. That's why all these little simple things I'm saying People don't even have that kind of basic knowledge, so no wonder they can't even draw a proper assessment of these kind of things. Uh, those are a few things I want to say about that. Now, what else did you want to know about the Ark of the Covenant? See, we don't know the specifics. We don't really know the purpose a lot of times because the details are not given, but people used to understand these things. I just want to say again that there was all kinds of um, um traditions that were outside of the text that supported the text so people could that's why they didn't have to have all these explanations all the time if they did the bible would be more like the um babylonian talmud it would be volume after volume after volume you couldn't take it to church but they also had supplementary texts and they tried to cover that up too now these were inferior texts they could have been inspired but not inspired the same level you can't prove with the scriptures that there's only one level of inspiration in judaism they teach there's, there's these three at least in certain sects of Judaism, like Orthodox Judaism, you can't even prove it, just prove that. You know what I mean? Basically, they had a lot of supplementary in, uh, information, and you'd be surprised if, um, if you knew how many um, of these things were actually just understood by the, the common man. They actually had traditions going all the way back to Adam, uh, Enoch, and Moses that supplemented the physical text. The common man just understood these things because they, everybody knew. And these old traditions got artificially truncated. It has to do with the hierarchy, but ultimately it was God. He took the knowledge away, of course. 
That's what the scripture is telling you there in Matthew 17 11. God was the one. It doesn't really matter how he did it. He worked through Satan. Satan worked through Illuminati. You can see him still working today in the institutional system, suppressing the truth right on down the line, filling us with lies. Okay? Who's the father of lies? Satan. You see, God has control over all that. And he's ultimately responsible for taking it away and restoring it. We can't, we can't do that. So anything else you want to know about the ark? Oh, Jeremiah said that it was hidden in a cave, and that's, that's where we're left hanging. And the reason that people are still wandering around trying to figure out, oh, where's the Ark of the Covenant, according to the Bible? Because they ignore the Apocrypha. And you'll hear all these wild theories about, you know, somebody will come out and write a book, well, it's down in Ethiopia. You know what I mean? Um, the Bible leaves us hanging. So I think it will probably be restored. But it doesn't specifically say that. I think it will be restored. It, it could be the same one or a new one. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't say. It just leaves us hanging. Jeremiah hid it in a cave. Mm-hmm. I hold the opinion it's probably still in that cave. Now, if it's still in that cave, that means we're probably going to get it back. And by the way, the angels have told us that Satan stole a whole lot of things. See, we have been stolen blind every which way we have all these things that have been stolen from us we don't even know we're operating under the fullness of the blessings of the new covenant this is what you hear over and you keep repeating that repeating that's all they ever hear okay but the reason i bring this up is because god is going to give things back to us that have been stolen these are actually like artifacts okay physical artifacts for instance manuscripts there's something to get excited about you know i'll just um give one passage it's unfortunate that um this passage is complex to explain because it has to do with uh, type anti-type fulfillment um this is clearly talking about cyrus in uh, isaiah 45 this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I believe that's metaphorical, the mountains. I will, it has to do with obstructions. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. Here's the passage in verse 3. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. I guess I can't prove anything here, but I'm just telling you that that is a double fulfillment. And off the top of my head, it's one of the better passages I can think that God's going to restore some of these things. These are physical things that have been taken. I mean, now for instance, if they had, let's say the Illuminati has the ark, okay, they're going to have to give it back. Even if there's going to be a superior one, I would still think that we'd get it back, you know, just to look at it and examine it. Uh, but a lot of these type of artifacts, see, these artifacts went somewhere. You know, they had the candlesticks, you know, the menorah, and uh, a lot of things that went in the temple, they went somewhere. They, some things were destroyed, but some things weren't. So that means, so where are they? Okay, and I'm saying that we've been told that um, 
a significant amount of these things will be restored to God's people. We're talking about like archaeological type stuff. Because you look around, and, you know, the thing that they show us, I can't think of anything significant that I don't believe is false. Because the archaeological digs were in the wrong place. That's why I think they're false. I think they're phony. And we're not going to prove anything here real quick. Everybody's going to be against me. Because, see, the problem with these Christians, they have never even spent five seconds their entire life thinking about the possibility that, you know, what they're told about the location of Israel is in the wrong place. They don't – look, at, even if that is the right place, generally speaking, do you really think that they're going to tell you the proper location of the city of Jerusalem unless God forces, forces them to? You know, Judah, Israel, it's the same place as they tell us, okay? But, you know, they're going to disguise the location of Jerusalem as a temple. You can tell they're lying to you because they say, well, here's the temple. You have the wailing wall. What does Jesus say? He said, every stone will be thrown down. He's saying that temple is going to be obliterated, and I believe it was obliterated by a worldwide cataclysm, which talks specifically in Scripture, great detail, by the way. Christians haven't even heard of that. They spiritualized the passage and put it in the future. They don't know what to do with it. Never even heard, though. Never even thought about it. But anyway, anything else about the ark? It has electrical properties, but I can't prove that. Yeah. It has to do with shape. It was a conductor of ethers. Here you go. Concentrator. It had to do with shape and mathematics. Uh, geometry. Okay. Anything else about the ark? Uh, no, that's probably the best we can do with the information we have on hand. See, I'd have to get revelation because um, it doesn't tell us. And we need to hear that. Um, we need more wise men to come out and say the three big words, I don't know. And if I was going to extend that, I'd say, and I have no way of knowing in and of myself, I don't have these abilities, neither does anybody else. But see, if you think, well, all the answers are found in the Bible, that simplistic thinking, what a joke. You know, uh, you would run into that problem uh, a number of times already in these conversations, because see, a lot of these questions that you're asking me, I'm assuming you're asking because you can't find the answers in the Bible, well, they're not in the Bible. I'm not saying everything is not in it, but a lot of this stuff is not in, not in the Bible. When we talk about uh, eunuchs, you'll see right away, it doesn't give us an explanation for this in the Bible. It works out. Okay. Next subject. That's probably my last question of the night. It's almost 3 a.m. All right. Yeah, yeah, you're getting a little tired there. <laughs> yeah. A little slurry. Uh, what do you think the Great Pyramids are for, in your opinion? Because I know I'm, I'm not going to get the truth from any media source I can look at, but I get constantly nothing but new information, and, and all the new information tells me, well, the previous information was wrong. So what is the purpose of the, of the pyramids? Supposedly they're all over the world, but uh, specifically the Pyramid of Giza, is there anything inside? Are they actually just hollow and it's a giant joke? Okay, well, you're, talking any, about, uh, ideas. you're talking about the Great Pyramid, right? Uh, correct. Okay. Uh, it was not um, 
designed for you to be a tomb for the pharaoh well first of all there's no tomb in there you'd have to have conscious theory that it really was but you know they covered it up because there's no evidence for that i don't have a problem with the other pyramids relating to that but not the great pyramid now when you have a shape like that every single without exception every single shape like that is going to be a conductor of energy. It's going to amplify energy. So it's obvious that they built it for that purpose. In other words, the region immediately around that um, pyramid, the energetic environment would be superior. But, but let me put a qualifier on that. Unless they have some kind of counterbalance, I don't see where that counterbalance would be. It would be overly yang. It would be overly masculine. You know what I mean? For instance, um, I've got these medallions. They have these little pyramids on them. And that's a pyramid is 100%. Any kind of phallic object, it can be a cone. If it projects sufficiently, it has a yang, a masculine solar energy. Well, on these little uh, medallions, it has, a, it has a curved slope. So that brings in the... Um, the feminine and it see everything is about balance the thing about yang energy is you can feel it more with your uh, nervous system so people tend to focus on it this society by the way is structured to be overly yang which is kind of interesting because people are lacking energy um, but their bodies are poor conductors There's, they're not functioning properly. Um, let me see here. Okay, I believe that the Great Pyramid was designed to induce some kind of um, enlightenment, like an experience, a singular experience. Uh, this has actually happened to people when they go there, you might have ambitions or you might hear. What it does is that it, it amps everything up. You know what I mean? When you're actually there inside of it, of course it's going to do that because you're an antenna and you're actually sitting inside of an antenna. You heard of these stories before? So I think there were initiations. Uh, that took place there that was designed for that. If um, if you look at the people that really know about the Great Pyramid, they're gonna not they're not gonna tell you it was designed for this or that. It, it had a multi-purpose design. You know, if they're gonna take that much energy to build it, you would you would think so. Okay. So there's a theory out there that it was actually some kind of uh, energy weapon or something like that. You know. But um, I'm, I'm not convinced. But it was multi-purpose, and it may have uh, created a, like a, a localized environment of privileged energy that was available to the pharaoh and the royalty below him that other people didn't have access to because they didn't have proximity to it. Um, I'm trying to remember what we've been told because we've asked questions about this. Uh, what people want to know is who built it. 
And we were actually told about that. I mentioned on the show, and it's something that people have never even heard of before. I never heard of it before. Uh, but there were called dark magicians. It wasn't built by Enoch. That's a popular theory. Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I do believe it was built before the flood. I hope, I hope I'm not getting this confused. Because there's two catacly- there's two great cataclysms. I thought we were told that it was um, antediluvian. Well, I'm not certain. Uh, but it was definitely built before the first century cataclysm, which was one of fire. And I also believe it was designed to survive a cataclysm. I believe that people in the ancient world, they all had um, the expectation. You could call it a fearful expectation. This could happen again. The reason is that they had strong traditions from their descendants about previous cataclysms, even if they weren't... uh, they, they remember the Great Flood all around the world. In fact, they still remember the Great Flood all around the world. The only, the only culture that has forgotten the Great Flood is, guess what, Western civilization. And the reason we don't hear, think about it is it's propaganda. They don't want us to think about it. It's real simple. Anytime you have an important event, it's going to be impressed upon the mind of man, and people will talk about it. People used to be talkers. You know what people are today? This will sound funny. They're starers. They yeah. stare at a screen. While the talk, ability to talk, communicate, the spirals right down progressively. We're losing these abilities. We're losing the ability to communicate. We're really good at staring. And we think we're learning so much. That's because we don't identify the sea of propaganda that we're, that we're living in. <clears throat> um. What was the last question you asked me? It's getting late for me, too. Yeah, I was asking you about the pyramids. What exactly are they for, or are they a big joke, you know? Oh, they definitely are are they actually joke. just hollow? Totally hollow, not used for anything, just there to make people wonder and waste time. No, um, but what I wanted to say is that, okay, that they were built by LML spirits. And uh, they're the ones that are involved with the building blocks of creation. So after a cataclysm, the elemental spirits, uh, they take orders from, the angels take orders from God, and uh, the elemental spirits take orders from the angels. And they do this kind of rudimentary, hands-on work. The angels don't do it. Okay? Um, Christians have lost knowledge of elemental spirits. Just like they have lost knowledge of any, any kind of entity out there besides a demon or an angel. They don't have anything. Okay, let me see here. Um, something else I wanted to say about the Great Pyramid. Oh, I hold to the theory, which I cannot prove, that it did um, kind of predict the future. So the problem is we have so much lost knowledge that no one can successfully do it. I think it's because we have a problem with the starting point. It's always that way, just like with a chronology. Uh, but there's sufficient evidence that the, um, like the great passageway, uh, the, uh, the king's chamber, the queen's chamber, that it is predictive somehow. I hold to the view that no man can uh, understand it. 
For instance, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, Charles Taze Russell, he was all in the pyramidology. And then Christians will immediately reject that. But that has to do with the occult. If Christians are so far gone, they think that if you build a structure that looks like a, a pyramid, it's evil. See how these people are superstitious? Not knowing that the entire creation is com- uh, comprised of carbon, you might know that, the carbon is tetrahedral in shape. That's a fact. Uh, tetrahedron is a three-sided <laughs> pyramid. So did God create an evil creation with all this evil? They call it sacred geometry. Run, run for the hills, run the other way. The devil's trick. What do they do? What, do they talk about um, geometry in the local church? They don't even have enough time to teach you these things in seminary. You only got four years, right? Did they talk about alternative health? You go to seminary? No. There's a simple reason why. They don't have enough time. See that? It's a time factor. So pastors are naturally, they're not going to know about these things. And uh, that's just the way it is. Just like um, pastors are limited over a course of a year about what they can teach you. They don't, I've said this recently, but they don't have this big burden of trying to teach you everything. They don't have enough time. If you go to church four times a month, let's say a sermon is 20 to 35 minutes or maybe 45, how much can you teach somebody? All you're going to be doing is dealing with basics. So that's the problem. The responsibility is not on the pastor The responsibility is on the individual. You're supposed to educate yourself. What the pastor does is supplement that, but initially his role is more significant because you start off, you don't know anything, right? There's exceptions for that. You'd be raised in a Christian family, but you're not really born again. You finally embrace the belief, but you've been exposed to these kind of things. You know what I mean? You've heard of them before. You're not actually, quote, unquote, saved yet. You know what I mean? But typically, just like anything else, you're starting at ground zero. You don't know anything, so you need a guide. So initially, the pastor is going to be very important. But he can only take you so far just because of the time factor. So you've got to educate yourself. Now stop and think about it. Does the government or the educational system or even your local church emphasize self-education? Pastors actually act as if they can provide this information for you because they do not emphasize the necessity of self-education. They kind of go along with the system. They kind of like being in that role. Role authority, you know, learn from me. And what happens if you educate yourself while you're going to local church and you start to express your opinions from what you've learned in a local church setting? What's going to happen? Typically, not a whole lot of good. That will show you that you have a false authority there. It's the pastor's authority. What does the pastor know about UFOs? What does he know about chemtrail? You go right down the line. You know what I mean? Little or nothing. I mean, so he just kind of look at you and roll your eyes. He doesn't believe in these things. Right. Anyway, is that enough, Matt, or anything else? No, that's pretty good. I'm going to have to call it quits here, man. Okay. Is the Thanks, other man. Have a good one. Okay, take care. Thanks for your contributions.
second to see if the other Matt is in here. Okay, uh, we'll shut it down, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody.